Street Smart podcast uh, coming at you from uh, Eagle Mountain Lake in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, with my good friend Eric Waller. Uh, and Eric's got quite the story. He's been uh, he's done a lot of things, and uh, I couldn't wait to have him on just because he's just an interesting person all the way around. But uh, more than that, uh, I know his story is going to really be interesting for you guys to hear. So, Eric, thanks for being a part of it. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. So, Eric and I... Uh, grew up in the same area. He's actually born and raised in Odessa. I was born and raised in Midland, which is better, obviously. And <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an age gap, but not much. Uh, and But I didn't ever meet you or know you until, gosh, it's probably probably seven years now that we've known one another. But it, it, you know, it was well into our uh, adulthood and careers. Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting uh, interesting way our paths crossed, but uh, let's start there. Let's start with Odessa and and kind of tell me about your childhood and 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 that. <clears throat> oh wow! So you know, I grew up in Odessa. Was um, uh, you know, I was a fourth generation oil field person. Is what I ended up being for a lot of my career. But I grew up around uh, men and women that worked in the oil and gas industry. Okay, so um, you know, I lived. In Odessa, to me, it was just normal. I mean, mm-hmm. I, my understanding growing up in the 70s and 80s there, it was dangerous, but it didn't really feel dangerous, you know. Um, I wanted to play, when I was a little kid, I wanted to play football for Mojo, um, and I wanted to work in the oil field. And my ultimate goal was someday to be one of those oil field guys that could fly to lunch in Dallas and yeah, come back. Yeah, probably this. one of the most West Texas things I've ever heard anyone say. That was all I wanted. I mean, and, and the problem was I wasn't athletic. Yeah, well, so but you can still work in the oil field. But I could, yeah, yeah. yeah I had enough bad habits that they'd hire me in the oil field back yeah, in the yeah. 80s. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, grow up in Odessa was, was fine. Um, uh, schools were fine. Looking back, I didn't realize the boom-bust cycle, how many, you know, of my friends left town you know later on in life i think a lot of young people grow up now they they have facebook and they have all these social media things but they they just don't realize that so many of us when we left town we just lost track well you did that was it and what's unique is with facebook and stuff some of those people i lost track with just pop up and And they're they're in michigan and they're in ohio uh, oh no you went through that oh no you know like you see you just kind of get to catch back up on their lives which is pretty neat uh but you're right uh i mean I grew up uh, in the in the '80s primarily. Uh, yeah. I was born in the '70s, and the same deal, man. When you hit those those bus cycles, your your friend group changed uh, somewhat yeah. sometimes. Uh, and and uh, man, well, I guess I'll I guess I'll catch Kevin on the flip, you know, yeah. or whatever. You just didn't you didn't know. And then, um, but yeah. So we're we're your fourth generation oil uh, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So what did your dad do? Well, my dad's deceased, but my dad was uh, just drilled all over the world, did uh, workovers, drilling, consulting type stuff, um, just really all over the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed my granddad, who did the same on my dad's side. And on my mother's side, um, you know, of course, my mother worked in the oil field. You know, yeah. my aunt worked in the oil field, and my granddad was um, was a gas compressor mechanic for, uh, started off with uh, Magnolia Petroleum Company in El Dorado, Kansas, and retired. Yeah. They had become mobile. 32 years later. Heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they transferred him from Kansas to Odessa. They brought my mother there, you know, and that's kind of how it. That's how, that's that's how the Waller family ended up or the, yeah, your mother's family ended up there and then, and subsequently you. And a matter of fact, from my mother and my dad's side, there's not a single one of them left there except for my brother. And he's holding, holding strong, you know, he's got his little, little, little block down there. And so, but, um, the truth is I was, um, 
I was good at a lot of things. I was smart. I was intelligent. Uh, but I wasn't good at being a student. Yeah. I think any of my teachers watching this will say, yeah, I don't, I'll, A, I can't believe you're actually on this thing. But B, right, right. I just wasn't good at being a student. And, and I had a, above average intelligence. And so, you know, everyone in my entire life was telling me, you got to go to school. You got to be a lawyer. You right. got to be a doctor. You got to right. be a scientist. You got to be this. And I wanted to have the force and be a Jedi, which was not an option. You know, I found out later. It <laughs> still not left you though, and because when I come to, uh, we're at your home here on uh, on the lake, and when I w- walked up, there's a, a, a uh, I'm going to get it wrong. I know there's stormtrooper helmet uh, on on a, a gargoyle or something out in the front there. It's, it's a blue like, dog. Well, I saw. So I walk up and I'm like, oh, of course that's out here. Yeah, of course. It I is. had it on the motorcycle. I took it off, but uh, that's fair. So I, I didn't do good at going to school, you know, it, I just didn't. And so, you, you know, I, I didn't either. Yeah. And, uh, and I had the same thing, you know, you're, you're too smart to be doing the, you're making the grades you're making or, or this and that. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've said this on other, uh, episodes of this, but my, my thought pattern wasn't, Hey, I need the degree to get to where I want to get to. It's like, I'm going to get there. I just figure it out a different way. You know, I say this a lot now, and I, and I don't mean it in any kind of disrespect. Our nation needs great employees, you yeah, know. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is an entrepreneurial podcast, and the truth is the public school system is kind of designed to create good employees. They didn't teach us how to do a lot of the things. And, and I don't know if I knew as a young man I wasn't going to be a good employee. Or, <laughs> right, I don't right, know what right. it was, but I just couldn't handle the rigidity of the process of the rules. And a lot of people, my peers that were successful at that, went on, and they had very early fast-track careers, and they sure. continue with those today. But um, for me, the track, it just wasn't available. I, I couldn't have went to college if I'd have tried, you know. Right. And, and if you had gone, you'd gotten bored. I mean, yeah. I went and yeah. uh, and I didn't finish because, uh, like, not because I couldn't do the work. It's I truly would sit there and be like, how are you not understanding this? Mm-hmm. I would get really frustrated. And, uh, and you know, in some ways it's kind of short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would be like, I'm just going to go do something else and just didn't go. So, uh, so you break out into the oil field when? Uh, the winter of 1989. So you picked the winter, which is an interesting choice. No, I mean, so I got to be honest with you. Uh, I I had not been going to school, okay? And so uh, my family... How old are you at this point? I'm 17. Okay. So I started school early. I was a September baby. You okay. know, I went to private school so I could get in early because I could read early. So, yeah. the, you know, they were pushing me through school. So um, I was failing my senior year, you know, and so the family decided they were going to get me a job in the oil field. And my granddad, who had retired from mobile, had went to work doing overhauls for Curly Cohe and Associates. And that's a low-speed integral mm-hmm. gas compressor overhauls. A lot of people don't know what that is, but I can tell you it's a hard job. Wait, so it's working on giant engines. Uh, you know, it, they're small. Extremely for, high temperature right, rooms, right, right. high noise, high vibration. High noise. And, and in the summertime, you're around the, the heat that's ambient and then also the heat of that engine. It's it's yeah. brutal work. It is. I got hearing loss from it today. I mean, it's high, you know, but yeah. they were going to work it out of me. They were going to work and it out I was going to ask you that. Is the, Do you think that was their plan? Let's put him yeah. in the oil field and, and make him appreciate uh, the opportunities education could afford because I think my dad did that to me a bit. Yeah. And what my dad did not calculate on was sending a, a young man to Minden, Louisiana on a crew of men getting to hang out mm-hmm. on per diem on overtime by <laughs> Thursday, making more money than you, than I ever knew I was going to make and, and getting to hang out with a bunch of dudes. And I'm like, well, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard work, <laughs> but I mean, shit, I'm a young man. I can do it and whatever. This is great. I don't want to do it forever, but I can certainly do it for right now. Uh, 
well, this goes on a while and, um, you know, kind of get through this period to where I can get another shot at school, you know, maybe a semester late, but I can get it done. And, and uh, he said, well, have you learned anything? And I was like, I wasn't trying to be rude, but I was like, look, my friends that did graduate, or I think they were making 235 an hour minimum wage. Yeah, it might have been 285, yeah. but it was, it was two something. They were making minimum wage anyway. I said, my friends graduated making that. I'm making 650 an hour. We're working 712s. So, I mean, I was right. making 44 in overtime and per diem. And I, I had, like you said, I was like, yeah. heck no. Uh, yeah. But the truth is, um, I really wanted to work with grown men and do the things they were doing. It was right. dangerous. It was hot. It was scary. And it was way better than school. You know, it was way better than diagramming sentences. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. I wasn't athletic. <laughs> I couldn't run and jump faster than you, but I could pick up and move heavy things, and I could think about complex situations. Sure, sure. And so I went from a person who wasn't doing – who the environment I was in, I was a complete abject failure – to getting a job as a young man and getting getting the old pats on the back. Hey, good job. Right, right. From from seasoned guys. Yeah. yeah. Man, this guy's a worker. Yeah, so grown men are, are giving me pats on the back. The family's upset about my behavior, but the truth is they're like, <laughs> okay, you know, and I just, you know, not everybody's made to go to college. Now, I will say I did go to college later as an adult. Mm-hmm. I did get a Bachelor of Science degree. I, it was worth doing. I did further my skills, and it did help my career as a professional. Okay. But it didn't do – it wasn't then – Right. It was going to work. Right. You know? What ultimately uh, made you decide as an adult that you needed, what, what did you need to shore up that made you decide I need to go to college to get that? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. It was, it was kind of an accident. Mm-hmm. And then it very quickly after the accident was a thought process that led. So a lot of this occurred in the same period. So I can't really tell you what came first, chicken sure, or egg. Sure, but, sure. But what really happened was, um, I was working for a company, I think they sold, so I'll say Compressor Systems, CSI. CSI, yeah, they're, they're uh, Compresco, yeah. CSI Compresco now. Let me tell you something. The Warrens owned it. I bled CSI. I mean, I, yeah, I yeah, bought yeah. their gear. They never gave me a hat or a shirt. I paid for them. That's the kind of right, employees right. we were. And, and uh, I had got transferred to Midland, and then uh, I had been misled. And you I were was transferred just, to Midland from Odessa? No, I was working Sonora. So oh, okay. I ran all, right. all so that you were south, south stuff yeah. way down to Del Rio, Fort Stockton. Yeah. And, and That's tough that. country down there, man. Yeah, and, and I was running 60, 80 hours a week. You know, I, I drove off a bridge in a F-450. I mean, I almost died. You know, these guys uh, were working me pretty hard. But I, I right. got transferred to Midland. I was pretty excited about that. And I showed up within a month. I realized something's wrong. I the guy I'm working for is not aware of any of the deals that were made. And, right, and I'm just like, right. wow, I can't believe they got me. And I left there really heartbroken, man. I mean, I hate to say it, but yep, yep. I was heartbroken, man. I mean, it, back in that day, I'll tell you, when I was in Sonora, and there's people may watch this, they'll know. If you talk smack about CSI, you, you had trouble with me. Like, yeah, yeah. I rode for the brand. I mean, you don't come over in a handover truck and even bow up. Yeah. don't you know we'll take the air out of your tire whatever i'm serious the weather for guys don't and and they loved and respected me and i did too but sure man when when i left there and the warrens died and it got bad i, I ended up at another company and i just thought well you know i just can't i keep getting moved around and right. the better i get it working on gas compressors they won't promote me they just give me more compressors yeah yeah well and and they might be looking at it like you know why would i why would I promote my best hand out of the field? And I, and I wasn't the best, but my point was you I, know couldn't what I'm saying. Get, I couldn't get to a sales job or any of those jobs that looked a little more right, comfortable. Right. Why, would I, why would I take my hitter and make him a manager of the team? Right. 
that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, at that point in my life, I got to tell the story accurately. I didn't deserve to be the manager of a team, but there was no right. way they were going to even track me anyway. But even though you didn't deserve it, you needed to be able to see a pathway yeah. that there's something there, yeah. or at least see when things are, you know, talked about that yeah. they're, you know, beholden to them in some way. Uh, yeah, you're right. And so you, so you're, you leave, you leave CSI. Mm-hmm. How old are you then? Man, by then I'm probably 28, 29. Did you have to turn the El Camino in? (laughs) That's a little before my time with the El Caminos. But but actually prior to that, I'd started my first company. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I had left a company called Highland Gas, and they were a kind of a PE back Mm roll-up. I didn't know what any of that was at the time. I thought I had a good, secure job. I didn't realize. And by the way, everyone out here working, if you're working for an oil and gas company, it's for sale. So 100% it's for sale. And, and, uh, and yeah, you're right. And, I didn't know that. Well, everything's for sale, Eric. Well, but I mean, you know, it's really, really for sale. And I was like, wow. Correct. And so they sold it. And I was a young man, maybe 26 years old. They gave me a year severance. And I mean, it was way too much money to give a kid like me. Right? Still though, man, that's good that they on they, you know, gave you something out of the yeah, yeah, they, they didn't have to. Hey, they were great. We worked yeah. day and night. We built that plants up. They yeah. we, we did a lot of crazy stuff. And I was the labor end of that wing at that point mm-hmm, in my life. Mm-hmm. But I, I participated hard and I got rewarded for it. That's awesome. And I started a compressor company with a partner. And, uh, you know, it just didn't work out. And so I left. I had failed in that business, okay? So, they, so you start this compressor company with a partner. Now, the idea would be that you were going to have rental units or sell units? No, no. So what I did was I went and bought an engine analyzer, these old PFMs. Gotcha. I don't know if anybody knows what these are, but at the time, I'm talking about I'm a 26-year-old, 27-year-old kid. I buy a $50,000 engine analyzer, a truck. I tool it up, and I go. I'm, I'm going to need know. you to scoot around because you're not on camera Hey, and get the mic in front of you. Okay. Amateur. It's like Bush League. I know, I know it. Well, so I get all this stuff, and then we start a business, and the partner I choose is in another state. And, yeah. You know, and I'm young. And um, and, and this isn't when uh, uh, someone being in another state was an easy thing to navigate. No, the internet didn't exist. Yeah, you didn't have Zoom calls. No, you, no. You, yeah. And so we were traveling and working, and, and it would get slow in between because I'd never been a salesman. They could understand. Sure, I was, sure. You know, I couldn't get promoted. So I'm the field guy. What happened is I'd get the work. I'd go do the work, and then we'd run out of work, and I'd have to go sell work. Right, so I'd right. take other jobs like roustabouting or car so, sales. So the so the sales guy was was uh, not able to sell because he had to do the work too. Yeah, yeah. And my yeah. partner was trying to sell in other states, but he was unable to do the work, so he was having difficulty. You know, it's kind of like without the right. knowledge, it's difficult to sell. He had business savvy. Yeah. Well, and even if he got the work, you couldn't cover it. Or I was driving to Mississippi to do a job. Right. right. So that business failed. Um, I lost my car. What was the name of the business? Western Compression Works. Nice. WCW. It looks good, man. And the logo, I wish I could find a card. It's the most horrible logo in the planet. <laughs> I, I designed it, right? Right, right, right. But, uh, we, you know, but, but basically what happened was I left there. I had got my car repoed. I mean, voluntarily surrendered it. Uh, ultimately, a year later, ended up filing financial bankruptcy personally. Yeah. I didn't know anything about finance or borrowing. I had um, leveraged credit based on my family's relationships in the oil field. So I had to pay the supply houses, right? Right. I mean, because that was, you know, that was family connections, right? Sure. Yeah. Like we were talking about before the show. Yeah. You've got generational connections and then that, that will get you in the door. You can't break those. Yeah. But you mess that up. 
Right. And, and you'll never be allowed back in the door. Right. Well, so right. I paid those debts, but I couldn't pay my car payment. I was having sure. trouble paying my house. Anybody that's been financially struggled knows. And I'm, you know, I'm 27 years old, 28. Wow. You know, and I can drink Budweiser till the sun comes up, you know, on Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, so those days are long gone. And they just handed me a bunch of money. and But but the company goes okay, right? I mean, yeah. I realize that I can get MSAs. I can figure out the insurance. Right. I mean, right. I was a legitimate company. We wrote a legitimate safety manual. I mean, it was – but I didn't know what I was doing, right? So, so I lost so, it. But from that, you understood, oh, oh, there's some skill set here that I have. So that what happens is when you lose your first business, I think that's a pivot moment for entrepreneurs. Okay. So I don't think you have to lose your first business. Let me be clear. You, you don't have to go <laughs> broke. Okay. <laughs> you, if you don't, if you don't have to, don't. Yeah. But I think people that lose their first one that don't bounce back or just don't. I mean, I think there's way more them than you know, because mm-hmm. it's tough to watch them haul your car out of the driveway mm-hmm. to go tuck your tail in and go ask for work from your competitor. Because mm. when I started my business, the only skill set I had was natural gas compressors. Right. I went to battle the best I could. Right. And uh, anybody that knows me knows I might lose the fight, but we're in the fight. Yeah, you're going to have a facial scar. So then <laughs> I have to shut my company down and go ask for work, right? And right. so it was a, man, a real kick in the ego, man. I mean, bad. Sure, sure. And, and so, at this time, are you uh, are you married? You have kids? I am at the time, yeah. Married, no kids? Both, no kids. Had kids, yeah. 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 So, so not only, uh, and there's that stress too, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always worked. It just, I just felt, I was just embarrassed. Yeah. You know, I had uh, been this blue collar guy who had been a failure, who got this glimpse of hope, who started this business and had lost it. Right. Yeah. And I was like, Shit. When, when you, you started know? that business, uh, you're just coming off of the the sale of the other one that you worked for, and they'd given you, a, you know, a chunk of money. Uh-huh. Um, and, and when you started the business, did you think, uh, did you think, oh man, this is obviously when you started, you think it's going to go mm-hmm. ape shit. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what reservations did you have, if any, and, and how did you get through those? And, and because that's kind of the theme of this for me. I mean, like we talked about, I watched my dad own businesses my whole life and you know, I'll have ideas to start businesses. And then I just kind of get hung up in the starting blocks because I'm like, I mean, I get paid really well now. And, you know, what do I really want to take that chance? And, and there's so many ways for it to go wrong. And then I'd end up just talking myself out of it. How did you keep from doing that? Well, I mean, after the first one, I kind of left with it's really, you know, I don't really know when I internalized it, but I feel like I internalized the fact that I was a damn good mechanic mm-hmm. and I knew nothing about business. And I was smart, but I had to, and so the, I think that's when the seed got planted was, mm-hmm. uh, if you ever want to do this, you have to learn some different things. Right. Now, I didn't decide I want to do this again. I went and got a job with CSI. Right. You no, know? My, my, yeah. question, my question wasn't in the learning process. It was more before you started WCW. How did you get through the, the you know, being frozen at the starting blocks? Well, to be honest with you, okay, I'm 26, 28, 27, yeah. you know. Yeah, high risk tolerance. <laughs> well, but not only that, I mean, the one skill I had was I, I – you know, and I'll say this unapologetically, you know, I worked my ass off and people I worked with knew it. Yeah. And it, not everybody liked me and, you know, all that. But when I worked on a gang, for sure, my gang respected me. Sure. So I had always had the ability at this point to say, you know, if it doesn't work, it's... But the truth is, I don't like taking orders from people. I think it's the real problem, right? That's what's always kind of driven me to do it. Sure. But then I decided, well... 
hey, if you can't be in charge of yourself and your own job and your own business, yeah. you better eat some humble pie and go be in, work for somebody else. So right. I did CSI for you know that period, and then you know it kind of went bad there at the end. Um, but I had made a decision to go to work for Arco okay. at the time, and and uh, I went to work for Arco, and um, I believe it or not, I didn't want to work for another gas company or oil company because Highlands had sold. Now I tell the story about how I got the money. I didn't tell you how when the vice president's name was Eric Zamora, mm-hmm. nice guy. I mm-hmm. mean, fully respect him. He did what he said he'd do, but I had no idea we were for, for sale. I was a kid, and he walked in. He said, hey, guys, the rumors are true. And I, I, I leaned in. Yeah. Well, what's going and on? And he said, we've sold the company. And I held my hand up. I said, I, first I heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I literally said that. Uh, and no all one, the guys. Uh, would, <laughs> no one ran this by me. <laughs> I said, what? And everybody looked at me like I was an idiot. And I was like, I was the idiot in the room. But yeah, yeah. I was like, this is ridiculous. I stressed about this job. I, I used to get to travel. And while well, I worked a lot harder hours, I had the camaraderie. And now I'm at this gas plant. We go to work the same day, the same locker. It's boring. Right. And, you know, they just want me to do it faster and cheaper. And, right. you know, it's exhausting. And then then I kind of snapped out. And then Eric Zamora said, now, here's what we're going to pay you. And in mm-hmm. the same meeting, I said, hey, I'm sorry about earlier. <laughs> I'd tell you right now I did. And I said, if you want to do this again somewhere else, please call me. Because sure. I realized I'd got two and a half years pay for working two years. You know, yep. I'd got yep. work two, and they gave me – it's the way they added it all up. Was like, I was like – I said, I'll go with you next week. And everybody laughed at me like I was an idiot in the room again. But I met yeah. I said, well, this is way better working by the hour. You mean I could go to work for you and your team and you guys do this thing somehow and you get big old chunk of money at the end? Right. And that's when my eyes got opened to there's something well, it's all, there. And you know? what you're describing there is uh, a term that you said to me and, uh, and I've used uh, many times to describe myself, and that term was entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and just the first time I'd ever heard that term and you defined it as, you know, Hey, I'll kill myself to come up with efficiencies and ideas and, and all of those things in internal to your company Mm -hmm. to make you successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and there, there is an entrepreneurial spirit to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but doing it internally with the sort of safety net, obviously of, you know, a steady paycheck, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that stuff happens though. You realized Eric got a chunk of money and he could do it, go do it again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you'd like to be a part of that. So, right. yeah, but I had kids and I got my ass kicked and I'd filed bankruptcy sure, and they sure. hauled the car off, you know? And so, well, anyways, I ended up at, uh, Arco, which immediately while I'm getting hired sells to BP. And so at one point my insurance says Arco and my check says uh, BP and my right. paperwork says Amico. It was mm-hmm. this, this that period of time. Well, they had... Also to, not atypical in oil and gas. <laughs> right. Well, I had <laughs> I had went to CSI, remember, and was trying to... Then I started saying, okay, I have to go to work for somebody. Remember, I'm telling you, if you can't right. be in charge right. of your own job and create income, you better chill out and do you, it. You better, you better suck it up. Suck it up. You know, so I go suck it up. And, um, well, at BP, they've got tuition assistance. Ah. And and so I'm sitting over in Midland. I, I've been misled about the transfer. I'm pissed. They offered me a job. I didn't want to go to work for another oil company. But I realized, I said, okay. And I went to work for them. And I ended up being at BP about 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, using that entrepreneurial stuff, wanting to get better, do things, I would try to run little programs within the company and improve things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could – 
you can look at my career from any perspective. I mean, the people that work with the hate of my guts can tell it one way, and the people that love me can tell it another. Sure. But the truth is I went places people wouldn't go, and I did things people wouldn't do. And when my boss was interested in something, I got fascinated by it. And they promoted me a lot. It wasn't because they kissed their ass. The truth is most of the managers in the BP rooms didn't like me. I'm not, I don't fit the mold. Right. I literally got some training for a week for some really high-powered consultants who came back and consulted me. I have it in here, my Hogan personality and all my diss stuff. Sure. And they said, you're a risk taker. You may not do well here. Oh, wow. You need to be careful. And I thought, you're right, and I might not do well here, and I'm not going to be careful. Yeah. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I remember telling the lady. You but you also me, might do remarkable things here. Yeah. I remember I said, you know, BP says all this stuff. But I don't get promoted unless I deliver that, and so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Promoted, promoted, promoted. Right. Yeah, even if they don't ask me to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? Here's the thing. I mean, let's cut to the chase. It's a safety question, right? Sure. The, the question was, do you do work or safety? The question was, you do both. So right. people, a lot of people in organizations choose one or the other. They right. say, I can't get a lot of work done if I do safety, and then the people who don't want to work say, oh, I use safety to not work. Right. I think both of them are chicken shit. Right. It's a lot harder to work safe, but if you put your head down and do it at a place like BP, you're going up. You're going up. You're and, going up. And, 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 and what you're really talking about there, and safety is just one idea there, yeah. but it's how do you integrate all of the pieces of uh, you know, your business mm-hmm. so that you're not saying, and I'll, I'll say this analogy you because know, my profession is safety, yeah. but I'll say, you know, let's don't talk about it in terms of, hey, we got this job to do, and, and oh, here, we got to do it safely. It's like, Hey, how do we do this job? And safety is just inherent in how we're doing yeah. it. And yeah. and any business process, whether it's a supply chain or any of, any of those things, mm-hmm. uh, can be you know how how do you just this is just part of how we operate, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and when we get into you know when you were with, at MD, uh, you had some really unique. Um, techniques as there as a ceo there but uh before we get there so 10 years at bp mm-hmm. uh you move up through bp mm-hmm. and then what well so let me i want to tell you about some things that happened to bp so um because uh, you know i went places and took jobs they would and i got to work with some really cool guys you know yeah my um oc manager in the permian basin dave mckinnon was phenomenal um you know i got to work for another oc manager in wyoming uh, jerry austin Love the guy, you know, to this day, uh, phenomenal. But what happened was, along this 10-year journey, I decided, uh, I will not mention this name, but I had a manager early on, and here I am hanging my head again, like, golly, man. You know, this guy's in front, this guy's horrible. Like, I don't know how to say it. Like, he's not a bad person. He doesn't wake up and think he wants to harm anyone. He's kind but he's he's horrible as a manager. Sure. It's, it's, I, I'm, this is horrible. Yeah. And I finally was just like, well, but what had happened slightly prior to this guy, that's what I got to tell you. So I go to work for BP at the Crane Gas Plant. Crane, Texas. Okay. Block 31. Oh, yeah. I've I work been out Block there. 31. I work Crane. I work all between all maintenance. And, um, I think Block 31 is an oxy plant now. Yeah. So they have a rope rescue team. And the rope risk, the ERT, okay? Yeah, um, the high angle rescue guys. Yeah, so I want to go. The reason I want to be on rope risk, you've already told you I'm a drilling junkie, but yeah. for me, you get to go down to the coast. You get, they got to, uh, I they feel get, so stupid saying this, but they got to rappel off the side of a battleship 
and I wanted to do it because the company paid for it. Yeah, I don't think that's stupid at all. Well, that sounds was, amazing. So my actual goal was to repel off the side of it. So I said, let me join the ERT. And they're like, hey. So they got this thing locked down with all the the employees or volunteers at the fire department. Sure. So they're getting trained from the oil company and the, and the, the crane volunteer fire department's well-funded. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so they're like, look, we everybody wants to be on the rope rescue, man. You mm-hmm. got to at least be an EMT. So I was like, fine. So I go up and sign up for a night class to take an EMT course. Because I'm going to get on that thing. I'm going I'm going to repel off the battleship. Well, and they have tuition reimbursement. And right. I thought about it when I went to work. I got to do something different. Well, um, I went and took an EMT course. And during that course, I didn't really like the teacher. His name was Leland. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't shocked that I didn't like the teacher because that seemed real familiar. But what wasn't familiar is how much I liked being in school. Because... I had hated school at the right. end. Here I am about 30 years old now, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting in a classroom, and I'm super freaking excited to be learning this stuff. Do, do you think it's because it was something you could directly apply to what you were doing professionally? No, I just think that at one period of my life, if you really want to dig down and get personal, because I don't think how you can be a successful entrepreneur if you don't study yourself. Sure. At one point in my life, I just got so sick of being the talented, gifted, bright kid that I just wanted to be dumb. And I just kind of checked out all that. Yeah. And I just went and worked in the oil field. Now, I could be dumb if yeah. I wanted. I could be smart. I could just move heavy dumb. things and be okay. I could move heavy shit. I could be the smartest guy on the crew easy. Yep. Not, you know, or at least think I was, right? Sure. So, sure. But then I went to school and I went, man, you know, you really missed out on some stuff. So maybe that was fun. Maybe you should take another course. Yeah. And I signed up for a course called Human Relations. And uh, two ladies, Connie Nichols and Sue Jones, were the teachers. And that course changed my life. The trajectory of my life just instantly changed. So you decide you're going to take another class. And you say that you know, the, these teachers you know, changed your life. How did they change your life? Well, so I don't, you know, they, um, first thing we do is we go in class. And they said, hey, and I, look, they don't work there now, so I'll tell on them. They said, hey, I'm real sorry. This is the way colleges work. You have to buy this book because it's the way they set right. it up. And they have to make money. But yeah. here's the deal. You can do whatever you want with them because we're not going to use them. I'd like you to go buy Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay. Or Seven Habits. Of, yeah, that's the book. Yeah. The, I'm getting t- caught in my words, but everyone knows the Covey book. Right, right. right. And we spent a semester uh, studying the book and, and other human relations topics, right? But, by, by the way, the department heads ask you to buy those books, specific ones, yeah. because they wrote them. Probably. 100% they did. Yeah. Or they had a hand in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, funny story. They're getting plenty I of money out of that. I met Alan Greenspan at the Texas Federal Reserve one day, and uh, the person I was with was like, why are you so excited? And I said, because he wrote my textbook in college That's for economics. Cool. That's pretty cool. And he was the chairman of the Federal Reserve. But, um, well, so, but at one point in one class, and what I'm fixing to tell you, I think is just a, I think for some reason, some people grow up where their compass is just correct and some people grow up where it's a little wobbly and mine was a little wobbly yeah and uh but they said the condition the situation you're in today is a direct result of the choices you made yesterday hmm. and i mean it pretty basic stuff right earth shattering for me earth shattering mind-blowing you blew never, you'd my ne- mind you'd never even considered that no no, I, I was just somehow a victim to this, or I was just floating through. I didn't really think about it, but right. but when it was just really clear, it's like, wow, you know, I am responsible for this. So then I thought, okay, well, 
if and I used to have this whole thing wrote up about this, right? It's just kind yeah. of a fleeting thought. But I said, well, if if what I did now is creating a trajectory to my future like this, if I make a different choice, I can alter my future. If that's if the condition I'm in today is the result of this decision well, I made yeah. yesterday, if I make a different choice today, I can alter my future. Yeah. If my condition is a lagging indicator, I can fix that. Yeah. So then I start saying, okay, that's future one. If I don't do anything, future two is if I do this, future three, future four. And then all of a sudden I just open up an array of endless future possibilities because right. my actions create the future. And if I have control of that, then I can steer and go where I want to go. Yeah, the, the Waller multiverse. Yeah. So then I've got this manager. Okay. Now I'm thinking about this shit because, because I did make this goal. Yeah. Um, when I started over at BP, my title or article was labor. I worked on a gang. Okay. We worked in the compressor house. Then I transferred to Odessa on the last gang that probably anybody ever met of a company gang. Company gangs are rare. Mm. Rastabout gangs. And I own a Rastabout company. They don't, they're not, Exxon employees anymore. They're, you no. know, but back no. then we were, and there was very few of us. So I went to work on a gang, but, um, they said, you got to write this goals thing. BP's got this thing where you be one year, three year, 10 year, whatever. And right. I wrote it down in 10 years. I wrote, I want to be the CEO of a multinational corporation. And my title was laborer. I literally said it on my check. Sure. I had left a 12 year career as a senior type technician. Right. And started over as a roustabout. Right. Because I admit, again, the more compressions I get, the more they give me. I'm done. You yeah. know. Yeah. And so, kind of what happened at that point, I didn't realize it at that time, but that was kind of my second or third foray into this Renaissance thing, where I just recreate myself. Sure. And I didn't know I could. I just accidentally did it. Right. Yeah, and I think that's an important message: is that you can recreate yeah. yourself at any stage in your life. Yeah. You just got to be prepared to go through a grind in the beginning of it. Right. And and figure out what you want. It helps. Right. That helps. That does help. That does <laughs> right. help. So, you know, I go over there, start over as a laborer, and um, I write down this. And my manager calls me out on it in a meeting, makes fun of me for <laughs> Eric wanting to be the CEO. What the, what the F? And, man, and I'm telling you, man, yeah. it hurt you, my feelings. Hey, go be the CEO of that rake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Go, go be the CEO of that shovel, Waller. Yeah. <laughs> That was horrible, man. And uh, well, then I get this one boss finally, and I'm like, I realize at some point it's a, uh, you know, this this learning thing opens up. I realize there's a possibility, and then I'm faced with this manager who I've told you is a nice person. I'm not here to disparage him, but his management style couldn't have felt worse on me. I couldn't have put on a, a coat made of cactus; would have felt better. Wow. And and I go, I apply for assuming this. the the cactus is on the inside of the cactus. Right, yeah, on right. the outside, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I would tell you, well, if you're, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> so I apply for a job that's like two levels up. Okay. And two levels up at BP is a job. That's hard, right? It's a it's a jump. Now, but the point is, I've been working hard. I've been getting my jobs done early. I've been keeping my sites clean. I've been doing the safety no one else is to do. Now I'm managing all the confined space. Right. You know, because nobody wants to do safety. And I I looked around the room, and by the way. Um, at this point, I'd taken a marketing class, oh. and they talked about market differentiation. Hmm. And, I, and I, I started applying the things I learned in school. How does Eric differentiate himself? And it, safety was the clear answer, because I couldn't be a better rastabout than Eli. He'd been doing it 25 years, <laughs> right. and his brother Jake. I well, and, and at some point, uh, those types of jobs, you can only be... There, there's a level that you get to, and that's just where it is. That's it, right. Yeah. And I couldn't be a better operator than Howard. 
I couldn't be – but they all didn't like the safety thing. Right. And I could be really good at that. And BP was really saying, hey, guys, we really want you to do this. Sure. We really mean it. And I started doing it. And people made fun of me, including my managers. But guess who, when they had to do a field tour, when the bosses came, they sure came to my side. Of course they did. Because they knew it was safe. They knew it was safe, and they knew it was going to be done right. And they knew I wanted to come up, and I wasn't going to act like an ass on site. Right, on site. On site, right, in private. Oh, I was a horrible employee for a lot of managers. I'll tell you straight up, and they'll tell you, but they're not on the show. Yeah. (laughs) But but, uh, so I go there, and I, I start going to college and doing this stuff, and then I just really break one time, and I realize that. I apply on this job, and Dave McKenna I told you about. Dave actually retired his career as my vice president of operations when I was a CEO years later. But That's how I know that name. I yeah, knew that's that, how you know Because I met Dave. Right. When I, I came up and I talked to you guys. Absolutely. Uh, so I met Dave. That's, Phenomenal I knew, engineer. I, I knew I knew that name, and I was just trying to like, 30-plus year yeah, you know, yeah. engineer, Great guy. operation Great guy. guy. And he's multi-generational, family-owned oil company, Pennsylvania. That's mm. old oil, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he calls me in his the little side, any of his office. We're having a meeting, and then he kind of, this is how it really went down, kind of out of the side of the, he calls me in an office, which is, an, you know, Alfonso's office, any of his office, shuts the door. There's people outside. It's really awkward. It's a little room, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm getting interviewed yeah, for this well, job, man. I would have thought, oh, no, I'm getting fired today. Oh, no, I'm like, they finally word got out. Yeah. <laughs> now he knows who yeah. I am. <laughs> I'm about to ask for some more money, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm getting off call. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and the interview starts like this. You know there's no way in hell you're getting this job, right? Nice. That's literally how the job starts. And so not one to be kicked around, you know. I says, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, sure, of course. I'm not dummy, but I felt really dumb, you yeah, know. Yeah, And he says, uh, well, I got to know why you applied for it. I think he's going to nip it in the bud if I'm just going to waste everybody's time applying for jobs, right? Right. I said, man, look, my boss is trying to make me be a pumper. And there's nothing wrong with being a pumper. And I relieve pump on the weekends. But And I'm not threatening you. But if you make me a pumper, I don't know if it's this year or next year or the next year, but it won't work. Now, I won't be here. I can't do it. I can't right. do it. There's guys and- that can show up and do it the same every day. I'm not the guy. And for the benefit of the people that aren't oil and gas, what's a pumper? Well, they, they're the guys that are responsible for very detailed checks of the operation in a methodical fashion. You know, very they, they work hard. It's in the elements. But it's it's once you get good at it, it's a routine. Even though it's hard and different and dangerous, it's very right. routine. It's a routine, and that is not how you like to live life. No. That is not, that's no. not Waller. It's horrible for yeah, me. Right? Yeah. I live where the rubber meets the sky. Yeah. You know, they're where the rubber meets the road. Right. And so it's difficult. I do both, but, and, and, you know, he listened and he's like, okay, well, you know, what really happened in the background, I didn't know, but they've been trying to fill this job out in Southeast New Mexico. Nobody would go. Nobody go to Artesia. Yeah. Well, Artesia's terrible. Well, I loved Artesia, by the way. I made wonderful friends there. We were there four years, but I'd go. He said, well, would you move? I said, hell yeah. And then they gave me four polling units. So I go from being a compressor guy to a roustabout relief pumper for a couple years, to now they've handed me four pulling units, right? It's not my fault so, they never asked if I did any of it ever. So, so now, uh, and so you're a tool pusher at that point. Well, actually, I had one rig that I worked like a tool pusher, and then I managed uh, three fishermen that ran the oh, other rig. Okay, so, okay. Uh, the, 
every party a little bit of a hybrid role. Set. Yeah, 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 southeast New Mexico, uh, you get a uh, basically a. A reverse unit operator. Yeah. So you carry a reverse unit swivel with you, and right. it's a high speed package. It ain't sure. like East Texas, you know. Yeah, it's made for it's made for moving. Yeah, and yeah. I struggle when I got to East Texas with the speed, you know. Yep, the, the kit's different. But um, so they sent me there, and it went well, and I I worked really hard. I, I um, moved it from four to three. You know, my repair grades got nothing. I laid down a rig. I got the backlog cleared. I started doing the safety again. Then when the safety the the guys that ran the main group of the wells were like, Eric's not qualified to do that. And they were right. And, mm-hmm. You know, the guy's name was Dan Westmore, and he was a great guy, and he was very vocal and said, Eric is not qualified to run these rigs. This is dangerous. I don't think he should do it. And I right. said, appreciate your opinion, Dave. You know, Dan, but I got the job, and now yeah. I got to kick your ass. Yeah, and now, <laughs> I have, now, now I must destroy you. Well, and not like that, but I'm going to defend my team, right? Sure. And so I knew that safety was – that. Because this had been brought up in this environment, I had to, that was my chink of armor. But it was a, you know, we just fixed it, right? We made sure that when safety right. came, we were good. Right. It worked in it worked in Odessa, it worked in Crane, and it worked in, you know. It, it turn, turns out if you may, if you commit to it, it works wherever you are. Well, and the other thing is if somebody pays you and they give you like a list of three or four things mm-hmm. they really want you to do, it pays off to do those three or four things. If nothing else, do those three <laughs> or four. Just do those things. Right. Well, you know, the, you fast forward, and, and there's another guy, Jerry Austin, who has the same problem. And he's talking to Dave McKinnon. He goes, I can't get anybody to go to Rollins, Wyoming, or Wamsut, or Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course they won't go. And Dave says, oh, I got right. the guy for you, man. He, oh, I, I know. I got the guy. I've got just the sucker that'll go <laughs> yeah, there. And he'll, yeah, and he'll work like a man on fire. And I went up there, and I did, you know. Yeah. And I did a really good job there under a really kick-ass leader. And – um I did some things there that were amazing. I mean, me mm-hmm. and my team delivered some projects around First Oil that uh, to, uh, I'd challenge BP to show me how they're doing it faster. Because it wasn't a year later I left. It was gone and destroyed. Yeah. You know, we had global leaders come and look at what we were doing. It worked well. You and, know, I experienced that kind of a thing, too, At uh, when I worked for Neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built out a, a high-angle rescue, Derek Worker rescue program. Uh, and then we built out, you know, a world-class, well-controlled mm-hmm. school, uh, ended up getting API accreditation on the school. And, you know, I was in charge of all of that, uh, at, you know, with the you know guidance of the VP of safety, Steve, yeah, yeah. Steve Olson, who's a huge mentor to me. And, uh, and he recently retired from, uh, Anadarko, but he, uh, when he left that company, it just went away because it, it took a lot of care to maintain it. The system was built, but it just went away. And that's – when I was younger, it bothered me a lot more. Now that I'm older a little mm-hmm. bit, you kind of go, well, that's just the way of it. You know, yeah. people want to come in and, and do their own thing, even if what's there is probably pretty good too. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah, it's it, that's a frustration that I don't think will well, not be there. Look, I'm a little frustrated, but the truth is – that that project was a result of a guy I got introduced at BP that was kind of the second time my life got changed, right? Yeah. So first off, I introduced myself to Sue and Connie, mm-hmm. you know, in the class, right? Right, and your teachers. Well, then BP hires this guy named Don Kiefer, okay? Don's a ex-VP of manufacturing at Harley-Davidson or something at Harley. I say manufacturing, but he's a, he's a VP at Harley. Um, there's another guy, Nelson Repenning. He's a dean at MIT. And these guys get three chances at BP to do this thing. Hmm. And uh, my boss, at, uh, my manager, Jerry, says, I got just a guy, right? He'll sure. do anything. Sure, he wants sure. to get promoted. He works hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to ask Kisser, like, I mean, I delivered. 
and I'm proud of what I delivered. And right, right. It wasn't that you were you know, just trying to move up. It's that you genuinely would get you know, ass deep in these things well, and, and I, learn them mind, and do them. Keep in mind, I had got pissed at that man. I mean, I can't tell you how much it drove me getting made fun of over my goals. Oh, it, well, oh, it infuriated me. Like, and you know, so you gotta understand, I'm trying to be the CEO of BP. Of course, <laughs> of course, that's your mentality. So, you know, I'm trying to do these things. And, and your that, thought is, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And and the truth is, I, I you know later I learned I didn't want that even if I could have or it sure. was available. But at the time, it was the only job I had. I loved the company. I ride mm-hmm. for the brand, and uh, you know we were doing this really cool stuff. Well, they introduced me to Don, and Don said, "Hey man, if you'll do what I tell you, I'll teach you how to do what I do." And what I do is I ran a five thousand, ten thousand person manufacturing company in China with sticky notes. I ran the manufacturing it. Or whichever division he was in, with right, sticky right. notes. All right, okay. Now you're talking to me. Well, this is different. Yeah, this is a different thing. Yeah, because the thing is, I got a bullshit meter, and it's why I didn't do good in school. Yeah. I, I kind of say I don't know why. The truth is, I can smell it when it ain't true, and you can't tell me it's just because. Like it just doesn't work for me. Sure. And I remember when I met you. One of the first things you said to me. It was not the first time we met because we just had coffee and, and we chatted a bit. It was the second time where we actually sat down and, and just kind of hung out. And you said, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't normally expand my friend group, but there's something about you. <laughs> and I, I think it's that bullshit thing. Like I, I generally try to be a pretty straight shooting fellow. And, and so that you do definitely have that and are not I, afraid to tell people that you do. Like I'm going to give you an example. Today you see me in a T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, when I go to work in an executive role, I, I put on a button-down shirt with a collar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know why a collar's on a shirt? Uh, no. I'm pretty sure it's to hide the, the colored ribbon that you tie around your neck oh, called okay. a tie. Yeah. I can't understand why I have to wear a tie, and why do I need a collar for a tie for an ancient ritual to wear a silk ribbon around your neck so you couldn't be offensive so they could yank you? Hmm. Don't grab my tie, I'll whoop your ass. Is that what that's for? <laughs> that's what I heard, but but let's be honest. Why would a collar exist on your shirt with a flap and the buttons? It's all made to hold this decoration. I don't want to be decorated. <laughs> I don't want to play that game, right? That's fair. I don't want to do it. That's fair. But I had to. But you can, though. But I can, and I, I will, and I look nice in a suit, and I feel good in a suit. And, and I think that's important for people to understand is that I... I I had this conversation with my youngest daughter. And I said, man, to get, a, to get anywhere in life, learn to be comfortable in any situation, have conversations with anybody, and hold your own in all of them. Yeah. Don't, it, look, I don't care who's watching this if they're trying to figure, get better. If you're 18 or 38 or 40, get a good fit and suit, man. You're oh, yeah. going to need it for something. No, get a good fit one. Yeah. You'll feel did you, good. Did you, and you recently lost a ton of weight, too. So did you have to – did you – you, t- you, I remember we talked a, a while back and you were lamenting the fact that you'd gone and they were like, Mr. Waller, this is as much as we can take this up. Listen, and you had some damn nice There was suits, a point man. in my life not too long ago that we were rolling hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was money to burn and oil, yeah. fi- you know, the oil yeah. feels good when it's good, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of custom made suits mm-hmm. and I was 315 pounds. Right. And I'm 210 today. Yeah. And it's just, and I, I you know what? They're all gone. And, it's thousands of dollars, and I, you know, I'm not going to get fat fit in them. No, no, so. that that's uh, I, I've also over the years with jujitsu and everything dropped a couple pant sizes, and my wife she'll go, nothing ever fits anymore, and we have to this. I was like, are you really mad at me because I'm 
thinner? Like, yeah. help me understand that. Yeah. She's like, no, it's just we have all this money tied up in clothes. I'm I like, know. We'll get new ones. Hey, look, you take a $1,000 custom suit, it's still 20 bucks at the garage sale. I don't care. What that's right. That's right. That's right. That, <laughs> but that I'm going to get point, my 20 <laughs> Yeah, that price point doesn't transfer. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, that's kind of how it went. And uh, when I met Don, Don introduced me to um, Dynamic Work Design, okay. which him and Nelson spent... And they continue to develop that science. It was very early science back then. And my project was successful. Yeah. You know, I had a target. And that's when I learned another really good trick. And it's a trick that I'm careful about saying because you can't abuse this trick. Mm. But Jerry Austin came to me and said, I need you to reduce the time from when drilling moves off to when you're selling gas by 90%. Oh, wow. In 90 days. Look, you got to understand, BP is one of the biggest corporations in the world. Yep. Convincing them to change anything is next to impossible. You know, you have to fight to it takes the nail. It to takes get 90 it, days to get the conversation started at a company like that. To get it proven at BP, right, you have to right. be so committed. It, it's it's why they don't get more, right? It's sure. it's it's designed to just kill creativity. And But, you yep. know, if you're a super smart scientist, they'll listen to you. But if anybody says, hey, I can save you 40%, they're like, we're busy. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but somehow they advance technology on a global scale, on a macro scale. Yeah. But on oh, yeah. a micro scale, they suck. And macro, they're just boom, phenomenal. But, well, Don teaches me these tools, man. And they start letting me get things done mm. without Six Sigma, without lean, without right, right. calculated math. And what really happened was it helped me have a better conversation with people. Gotcha. Right? It helped me talk about things being on or off target. You know, at BP, we had a stoplight, you know, mm-hmm. green and yellow and red. And Don said, I don't understand that. Yellow, what does yellow mean? It means I'm nearly right. failing or I'm almost winning. Yeah. Yellow's gone. So I don't have a yellow oh, light anymore. You're on target or you're off. What an interesting way to think about yellow. It, it, it are you are you halfway into the forest or halfway out of the forest? It, yeah, and that's yeah. and that's why everybody's yellow because they're just saying I don't know. It's yeah, doesn't look right. good. Ye- yellow's the catch-all. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm a little bit in in, but I'm not finished. Yeah, or I, I'm a little behind. I'd say yellow. Yeah. I don't do yellow. Yeah. I Makes, do. We're on or off, man. And doesn't now if you're hmm. off target, people are trained up. That's bad. It's not. It's just off target. Okay, yeah. what it, do we do to fix it? It's a different conversation. You know, right. hey, why and what are we doing and. Are we? Is the target realistic? You know, well, what, I tell those types people, of things. Let's watch this because the train. You look at a giant train wreck. It wobbled way back there. Sure. Let's catch the wobble. And know? so, and so you started, and that's the method that I'm familiar with. When you're at MD, you know, that visual management method, which is unbelievably cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and I but, started learning that at BP. At BP. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's where I met Don. And so Don gave me those tools that were. You know, when I took over as the CEO of MD, mm-hmm. the very first meeting, I flew to Chicago, O'Hare Airport, got a room in a hotel. They took the furniture out, put a table in it. Me and Don sat down with a bunch of white sticky notes and mapped out how I was going to drill 100 wells in a year. Wow. With one rig on the ground in February. Right? So we used sticky notes. We drilled 88 of them before they pulled the plug because prices dropped. Sure. So but you'd have hit the 100, though. I would have hit the hundred. Absolutely, uh, we took it from twenty five hundred barrels a day or twenty two hundred to seventeen thousand. That's amazing. In less than a year, and so, but these tools that Don gave me were amazing, right? And so, well, keep well, in life mind, changing. you still haven't heard me talk about being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Other than, uh, other than failing in a compression business. Other than failing in a compressor business. Well, then I start along the way. I start getting these ideas, right? Yeah. And uh, 
so I start trying to do these side hustles. Like everybody said, you got to get a side hustle. Right. So at one point, you're, I'm going to give this idea away in case anybody wants it. You can have it. I don't want it. I'll just, uh, I'll, what'll happen is you'll say it. Trademark. Then, what, then I'll edit that out and I'll just yeah. take it. <laughs> I decided I was going to take out the Chamber of Commerce and I went and bought like 200 something websites. I bought every state and every major urban area in every city that I liked of myonlinechamber.com. So it'd be odessaonlinechamber.com, midlandonlinechamber.com, texasonlinechamber.com. And so what I was going to do is create a free business-to-business social media network like Facebook where you could recommend businesses. Like you had to have a business. Mm -hmm. Your page could join. You could link up with others. You could have community businesses. It would all be free. And then eventually I'd convert it to an ad revenue because what do small business owners need? You need to know about insurance. You need to buy. Also, all of a sudden, I'd get this ad revenue from the guys. So you were service. going to build LinkedIn. But, but yeah, <laughs> kind of, but LinkedIn's for people, right? Yeah, right, right. People say, oh, but this was truly a business Just specific business to business, B2B. And I bought all these websites, right? And then I just couldn't get it to work, right? And Well, then what happened was um, Woodbine. Mm. So I had sunk all this money in this thing and uh, on the side, and then Woodbine happened, and you know that turned into MD America, and that you right, know. right. So I had just um, once again ten years into my career, I ran into a manager, and uh, before I went, I was warned. Yeah, this guy's a dick, and it went from. When you left BP, is this when you were leaving BP, you're going there? No, I transferred from Wyoming. So I had some personal issues come on. Okay. You know, they were fast-tracking me. I was headed to Durango, Colorado next. I was, you know, it was, I was, wor- people- I was working my ass off to be the first OCM that wasn't an engineer or a yeah. geologist. You well, know? And people need to understand, in, in, oil and gas is a unique industry, and you can advance your career, but you can move around a little bit. If you move, you go faster. You, yeah, if you're willing to, you can for sure. Mm. Uh, and so, but it's uh, it's definitely a challenging path uh, yeah. when you're doing that. Well, so personally, my, my life wasn't working out on the personal side, and yeah. and I had to go to them and say, look, I got to go back home. Yep. You know, and they they facilitated transfer back to Block Thirty One Crane Gas Plant where I started. Yeah. Ten years prior. Yeah. And that was a pretty tough transition. But I showed up trying to do a good job. But I ran into man- – I'll just keep it short. I ran into a manager who – You don't have to keep it short. Look, man, I'm going to tell good, you man. what. I walked in there and gave him a two-week notice and said, look, I know the drill. I was trying to do the right thing. You tell me when I tell other people. Tell me what to say. Yeah. I'm not trying to be – you know, just yeah. I just want to leave. Yeah. And I'm like a, I'm a square peg in a round hole. Y'all aren't going to change, and I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, yeah. just shocked. But uh, then the, I guess I show up three or four days, and then I'm in a meeting, and projects are getting took away. And it's clear they've had a meeting, and everybody knows I'm leaving, but I'm still sitting on, what do you want me to say? I won't tell a single person. Right. And then people start asking me, I heard you're leaving. People said you're leaving, and I'm keeping the commitment of, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, somebody's but, definitely but saying something. my manager, something. who I know is bad anyway, so I'm not shocked. Right. But I'm just like, I've never done this in my career, man. And I send a letter that says, hey, man, when you hired me, it didn't go so well. And you made me drive my personal vehicle to Crane, Texas to get this junky truck. Mm-hmm. And you'd come over here to Lakeside Drive in Odessa and pick it up because I didn't sign up for two weeks of this bullshit. Mm. That was it. Yep. Because I'm not coming back. You know, yep. like I'm not getting treated that way. I'm done. I'm done. And I don't have to go tell HR. I don't go have to get on a program. I don't have to get, cause that's, look, that's just how you get fired slow. 
That's right. Come on, man. That's right. Let's be real. That's right. I'm not going down like that. I'm going to leave on my terms. And, you know, Jerry calls me and says, what the hell? I don't remember the exact conversation, but, you know, how does my star student go from star student to quit? Yeah. Tell me. I said, And the truth was, it's probably the most true things I'd ever said. I said, if I stay, I got to be less of. Hmm. He said, what's that mean? I said, like, I'm telling you, less of. I got to show up. Whatever I got to eat is going to make me less of a man. I'll be less of an employee. I'll be less of a father. I. It's going to take something out of me. It's going to take yeah. a piece of me out. Yeah, and I worked my ass off to get here. Man, I called my dad. He says, uh, my dad's over in the Boha Bay of China on a rig, you know, and he's yeah. like, what are you doing, man? Why are you quitting? There's people kill for your job. You know, he sure. spent his whole career sure. out there, right? And I said, they let them kill each other. I don't want it. Yeah. I went to work. I took an equity deal for a debt collection agency. So was, now you're out of the oil and gas industry. Yeah, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'll leave on my terms. I'm done. I ain't yep. going back. I didn't look for a job. And I go back to Wyoming, and I start running this debt collection agency as a chief operating officer, and we work out equity package. Yeah. He buys it from his family 100-plus years. And um, Less than a year later, I leave. I give the equity back. He's a great guy. You know, I didn't sure. earn it. We're not going to argue. <clears throat> I did some good things while I was there. I learned a lot of cool stuff. But yep. the oil field called back, and they said, hey, yep. Eric, we got a deal. I got a, a friend of mine called and said, "We, I've got this entrepreneur friend. He's going to put together this old company. We're going to buy this stuff. He's going to borrow all this money. And, uh, man, I just think you'd be perfect for this. Like, you, the way you work. And and uh, we're going to drill some wells. You know, he says, you ever drilled a well? I said, no. He said, don't tell him. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll figure it out. We'll figure that out. Just get a tally book and stand around mad. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I've been on a lot of rigs fixing their compressors. You know, sure. I, I sat at the kitchen table and I've, I've heard on the phone my dad. I've heard all the stories. Sure, I, I sure. work in the oil field. It's not like it's foreign. I'm not know? uncomfortable around them anyway. No, yeah. I got the same clothes and gear they got. I drive down the same road, you know. And uh, well, we get over there and we go to work for this guy, and he's got a manufacturing company, right? And so he's just crazy entrepreneur is going to do all this stuff and he sold this big thing already he's got a bunch of money so sure. look here's the thing he picks me up in private jet all right i'm paying attention yeah that helps yeah, that's, that's mean, unique I, i'm flying to washington dc i'm in the Ghanaian embassy mm-hmm. i'm i'm doing some crazy stuff i'm with noble and apache and i'm in west africa i mean it's right. and then we buy an oil field you know and then i watch this guy do it and i i work for him and uh you know, it was pretty amazing. It, What's it, the name of that company? Well, the company we ended up forming was called Woodbine Acquisition. Okay. Um, uh, we, the team, you know, I was just a very early entrant to that team. There were sure. about 11 of us that sure. put that together, nine or 11. That dwindled down to three, you know, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. It was three. So this is 10 years at BP, and then the next phase of this thing's 10 years. 10 years. Another 10, right? With, with a year-ish yeah. Outside of oil and gas. Ten months, yeah. yeah. Now they kind of joke, you work for us a pregnancy, you know, and it was 40 weeks or something. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I got out of oil and gas for about a, year, a little over a year and a half, uh, and I remember having a conversation with you about it. And yeah. It was uh, the 2015 time frame. I'd been laid off from energy and exploration, uh-huh. uh, and I'd gone to work back at Xterra, and they had transitioned to Arch Rock, and I was in a sales role and all of that. I didn't like a year runway. And I yeah, look at you. Look what I had to do. I still didn't get a compressor sales job all right, these years. Right. Well, I, it, you, <laughs> it's not as cool as I thought it'd be. You know, honestly, when I, I got over there, I realized, man, it's a hard job. Yeah. It is a hard job. And and the, the most frustrating things would, would be, I'd, I'd see guys that would 
because I wasn't there long enough to build this type of book of business, but I would see guys that would build a like a whale account, and Xterran would say, awesome job, or Arch Rock at that time, hey, we're going to make that a house account, and I'll go do it again. Yeah. And I, I thought that was chicken shit. But it was chicken it's shit. It's super chicken shit. But yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, I remember having a conversation with you, and you said, what are your reservations? And I was like, all I've ever done is oil and gas. And you said, your skill set will transfer. Yeah. And I think it was important for me to get out of oil and gas or for anyone else to get out of that. Maybe they've done it forever mm. and see that, Oh shit, I, I can do other things mm-hmm. and do them well. And, and for me, uh, the industry I went into was tech and you know, they geared a little differently than oil and gas and, and similar to what you would say, the oil and gas people, those are my people. Yeah. So when I got back in, I was like, yeah, this is where I belong. But, Oh, I, I, I'm, I need to tell you how I ended up at that debt collection agency. Yeah. So, you know, I'm there working at Wampsutter, Wyoming. I'm living in Rollins, and we work a 980 schedule, okay? Um, which I don't really get off very much because we're drilling 220 wells right. a year, okay? But <laughs> right, but right. I'm off some, okay? You have some and, time. And, and I have a company job and company hours, and I have some privileges that you don't when you're on the service side. Sure. And uh um, I start a side hustle. So Don Kiefer's teaching all, sorry about that. He's teaching all this stuff about this visual management and how to, you know, he's a business consultant, a management consultant. Right. And, and by this time I've earned my college degree, but I had to start over at three different colleges. So I have a lot of hours and I just kept taking leadership and management courses. Okay. Leadership. Every time I had to earn new courses, I would, you know, try to avoid math or accounting again. But um, I would take, I was really interested in leadership. It's, a bad leadership's what sparked my journey, so I needed to be a good leader, you know? Right. And look, I mean, even the best leaders, I think we all know, there's a lot of failures along the way, and they got oh, faces man. on them. You yeah, know, they're not that's right. projects. That's right. They got faces on them. So, but um, anyways, I start doing business consulting, and this is how I meet the collection agency guys, because the guy's buying a company, it's 98 years old, 99 years old, uh, it's a family business that's been a business and he's purchasing it from his parents you know he's yeah. worked there but he's like look we got to fix the things we got to change some things so i come in as a consultant and start helping him lean out his management team you know nice and then now i'm back in crane and things aren't going good you know sure and he's like come up here and let's yeah, come it. back yeah and you know and so but the point is me having the curtain that's kind of where my entrepreneurial journey began again was i'm working at bp i'm working day and night yeah and somehow I decide I need to take my time off and go. But the reason wasn't necessarily to make money. I, I really wasn't charging too terrible much, to be honest with you. It was because, um, uh, you know, in order to learn it, I needed to teach it. Like yeah. I needed to, and it was very important to me because it, it just blew my career up. I was meeting right. global leaders. I was going to MIT. So, so you really wanted to try to apply it and see, because you it see worked. It yeah, it's and see it in action. Because it works. So look, he, I got the only system in the world that I've ever seen that lets me use do less work and let people get more work done with less effort. I mean, this is I'm highly intelligent, but I'm also naturally lazy. This is like a dream, <laughs> right? The problem is it doesn't work well on Excel, and people somehow have convinced themselves that if it's not a spreadsheet, it's not real. You know, um, no, I mean, they, I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> but they have their place. I'm an analog guy, man. I, the, what's funny is, um, I'll tell you this, as a little kid, I was smart, right, and nerdy. And, uh, you know, my first computer was a Radio Shack TRS-80, mm. and I did not have a floppy hard drive. I had a cassette drive. And I oh, man. upgraded to a 7-inch floppy. So I love technology computers. Yep. I'm not that grumpy old guy. The truth is, in businesses... The computer, to me right now, I will tell you, a monitor, 99% what it is, is a thing to get in the way of people speaking directly to each other. I agree. And, you know, in my organization, send me a face mail. Call me or walk down here. Because email's going to get ignored for a big, large portion. Because I'm getting older, I don't see as well. You know, people need to understand mm-hmm. us older people can't see as well. Now I got to get my glasses, carry them around. Every time I look at my phone, I'm supposed to high speed type you because you want to play email ping pong. I don't like when you say us older people. Well, you know, I'm getting there, right? <laughs> I, I'm definitely getting there too. I, my vision was perfect till about 42. Right. And I remember our, we were we were at uh, it was probably maybe 43, whatever. Um, I'm 46 now. I remember being at Walgreens picking up prescriptions because that's on my to-do list now for sure. And, but I remember just standing there while I was waiting and they had those readers and I just pick up a pair and put them on and look at my phone. I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. Right. I'm going to have to get a pair of these, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I start running this little side hustle. I start consulting and then that's when I learned. I said, wow. Um, there's something here. Well, let me be clear. I mean, you got to understand, like, a lot of people I work with knew me as the laborer that right. was moving up. Right. These people didn't know me as any of that. I was a business consultant right. when I walked in the door. Right. And I, was, and I was telling things they had never heard before. Right. And I went, wow. And I had paid attention in college. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the reason I paid attention in college was, A, it was fun, but what happened to me along the way at BP was... I would work with a bunch of guys, and, and I'm I'm not disparaging anyone. This is the how it is. I sat around with five guys who said how stupid it was that everything our management did, how stupid it was that they did this. It's just a laundry list of stupidity that corporate does. And mm-hmm. I heard this talk till I was sick. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it just gets in your head. And then one day I'm in class, and they start t- talking about moving a – uh, operation from a functional to an operational role because they're amping it up. And I literally see this start happening in an organization. And everybody's like, they're doing this, they're doing that. And I'm like, no. no, They're, they're, they're flattening the organization out because oil prices is high. We're moving it up, and the dude running this knows what he's doing. Right. They're flattening it so that we can get speed yeah. to action. And that's what I'm going to give them, right? And right. so it just blew my – so I started paying attention because my career immediately started. Yeah, advancing. Yeah, and, and that's why I paid attention. It was yeah. like – and. Um, early on, it was about career advancement, but then you realize when you start leadership, and if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're a leader by default. Yeah. Because if you own it, you're the boss. You have functional leadership. You have all that power everything. that comes from yeah. that. Right. You have tactical and strategic leadership. Absolutely. Or chart everything. Everything. I mean, and so, you're a leader. And for me, you know, that's the hardest part because I think a lot of people. There's two camps that people I work with. There's one camp says you're way too hard on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very vocal about it. And the other camp says you let people get away with so much, Eric. Why do you? I'm just like, I wish y'all would all get in a meeting. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, what are you seeing and what are you well, seeing? Well, they're probably both right. But, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't so, you know. Well, both think they are, for sure. Yeah, and at any given day they are. Yeah, that's fair. Well, you know, that's but, fair. 
you know, so I just think, so my, then, so that side hustle works. And I realize I do have extra time. I do have technology. I can do side hustle. Sure. And, uh, you know, I'd already tried the chamber of commerce. Now right. I'm doing this consulting deal. Um, you know, the very, very later on, I started the companies that I have now. Yeah. So like, it looks like I'm a successful entrepreneur in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways I am, but the truth is I was a successful entrepreneur until I made enough money to go invest in and be a successful entrepreneur. Sure. I built my businesses with money that I made being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Now they all kick ass and cash flow today, but I had a bump and that bump was I went to work for somebody that paid good. Yeah. That's what I did and trained me and educated me. And as long as I just quit bitching about the corporation long enough to let them promote me, they would. Sure, sure. You know. Uh, so you guys uh, start wood buying, mm-hmm. and then you guys buy an oil field. Yep. And that's uh, in the in. Um, Twenty eleven, we buy. We borrow yep. two hundred fifty million dollars in high yield bonds, junk bonds. Mm-hmm. We hundred percent finance this deal, and then we flipped it in twenty December twenty thirteen for five fifty. That's awesome. And then we bought another 40 and flipped it for 140. So the best way to say it's is about 400 turned into 7. Yeah. It's a good project. That's a good project. Or 400 million turned into 700 million. And then right. I ran the company with the people who purchased it. Right. So it, so MD America purchases and at that point you're named CEO? Yes. I was the vice president of operations prior to that. So you've gone from laborer, now you're CEO of an an EMP company. Yeah, exploration production company. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about some things you learned there. Okay, look, um, I'm proud of most of what I did there because that's where yeah. that's where I met you. Yeah, and I, I'm proud of most of it. You know, there yeah. not every bit. I don't think anybody can say that. But in a big way, we took an entire team of men and women that were bullshit and didn't know how to do it. Like, we all were committed to do it, but none of us as a team had done what was fixing to be done. Mm-hmm. All of us pretended like we knew and could do it. Yep. Maybe the others would never admit that. I don't care. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I knew I'd work day to night. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is going back on your entire career, listening <laughs> to your story, it's it's not an arrogance. It's, a, it's an understanding of who you are, yeah. that if I don't know it, I'm going to outwork everybody until I do know it. Yeah. 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 And so we did that, but you know, and it got crazy and it got hard and we lost team members and some mm-hmm. of it was justified. Some of it was bullshit. And it, it, you know, when you're dealing that much money, it's crazy. Okay. It's so much money. Uh, but when I go to MD America, I'm going to give you kind of some highlights that happened in the first year. Yeah. We take How many years were you CEO? Six. Six years. Okay. We take it from one rig to eight. Mm-hmm. We take it from 2,200 to 17,000 barrels. In year one. Year one. Or 12 months, you know, from February. Right. I take over. We sell it in December. I take over in February. Yeah. The teams there were, you know, the, the previous CEO who I spoke to today, by the way. Oh, wow. I mean, he left. Um, that's pretty common, right, mm-hmm. during the sale, CEO leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, we were all going to leave at one point, and, you know, they just, he made, left. Made you get over. They did. and uh, But the reality it's, is that um, in those six years, uh, I got the company rated by Moody's and S&P. Man, that's awesome. It is awesome. We were the smallest old company ever rated. And, and when I let the rating go in 2021, 20, mm-hmm. um, you know, or 2020, when I let it go, 2020, it was, had we'd been rated for four or five years and we'd increased, increased our rating. Um, I refinanced and borrowed 500 
Yeah, $525 million, a half a B. Half a B. Yeah, I got rated. Then I went in the process, raised the 525 Within a year, I raised equity in China and brought it over. Took that down, or two years, paid the 525 off. Came back, borrowed another $140 million, Drilled 120-plus wells. Um, took the property from 14,000 acres to roughly 70. Jeez. When when you guys died over there, yeah. we you know we just started making hay what we could. Um, we advanced technology. We took um, horizontal technology to another level in that area, in that play. We took, um, and I say we because it's the science and technology that comes behind a team like this. It ain't me. Oh, yeah, I'm the CEO. Yeah. I get to brag, but all the engineering geology all the just yeah. straight up worker bees that that are paying the invoices that mm-hmm. are unlocking the door that are putting the coffee in i mean that thing is a lot of people but you know we got records we hold today and uh we were the first ever chinese owned oil company and i know that excites a lot of people in a negative way um but and i want to talk about that because i got really strong emotions about that mm-hmm. i'm a anybody knows me i'm america first man absolutely I mean, but i'm not everybody else sucks either and we need to operate fairly mm-hmm. um what happened after the financial this is my understanding what happened after the financial crisis of 229 you know the big meltdown yep this dodd frank and other the reason that there's like 0809 the reason the chinese bought our company and not the next highest bidder is because they can bid more yeah. And the reason they can bid more is they're not legally restricted from valuing things a certain way like our competitors are. Yeah. So we sold that company to the Chinese because they bid a lot more than yeah. our competitors. It's a better and, deal. And they bid more because the American government got in the way of our guys doing it. Okay. So and anybody don't like that, I'm sorry. You're looking well, at hey, that's that many the way it millions, is. you turn it down. That's Yeah, that's the way it is. Right. Uh, but in order to do that, we had to run through the uh the Senate Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Hmm. Uh, we were under management by the Department of Defense. I was in and out of the Bush Institute. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on over there. This is We were watched. We were managed. And I was the CEO. And you would expect that. Yeah. I mean, you would expect that. Yeah, it was kind of odd. Um, it, um, I got to go back and forth to China several times, you know, big national conventions. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool stuff. But, you know... Um, that that probably was the most unique part of it was the Chinese connection. I cannot tell you how hard it was for me to be my first CEO role for the Chinese in a first ever with a culture clash that happens mm. when you put us two together to work that you cannot believe or understand. How'd you? Uh, how they did don't you want do to that? mess with us, and we don't want to mess with them. And right, I, but both of you understand the business opportunity involved so you you kind of put those differences aside yeah but i gotta be honest with you i I, look i like the chinese they work their ass off i mean they you know there's certain cultures that i have i have respect for all cultures but my work ethic is really attracted to certain cultures yeah hispanic culture chinese work their ass people think they don't they do yeah so they work hard from that perspective complete respect culturally though i'm gonna give you a story that's the best way to explain the difference when I introduce myself, I say, my name's Eric Waller. Mm-hmm. They say, my name's Waller Eric. They identify with their clan first. Their family And they're first. a person second. Mm. It's a very different mindset. You, you can't understand it. It's, it, it, is, it is definitely different. And, uh, they, get, they do things for the greater good, mm-hmm. but they work hard for individuals. But the greater good's 
is always on their mind. It's ingrained in them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's communism or, or their Asian culture. I don't know. But it's very different than what we do yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. And yeah. So the individualism, the collectivism are a clash. And then you throw a language barrier in there that is intense. And sure. then you throw these behaviors around hygiene and uh, waiting in line that are culturally different. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at, we're doing things that they're shocked and they're doing things that we're shocked, you know? And, yeah. And you had the, du- the double whammy of not only being an individual American, but a Texan, which oh. is a whole different level of individualism. Listen, I took uh, Mandarin lessons, you know, and I yeah. couldn't imagine my teacher, the poor lady. I mean, I can barely speak English. <laughs> I've got a funny story about that. It, it's not Mandarin. It's uh it's Spanish. But when I worked for neighbors, they uh, got Midland College to do uh, an oil field for gringos, basically, yeah. uh, Spanish for gringos. It was taught by this Argentinian guy. And uh, this dude named Jeff Johnson um, was our one of our operations managers, and he knew what he was asking. But he, he was sitting in there, and, and he raises his hand. And the dude's from Palestine, Texas, right? And he's just redneck. And he goes, um, when I'm out in the field, uh, they call me El Diablo Blanco. What does that mean? <laughs> And dude, we fell apart laughing. And but that teacher just is straight faced. He goes, uh, "Senor, they are call you the White Devil." <laughs> it was the funniest thing ever, man. But yeah, bridging those language gaps is is hard. But bridging English to Spanish, I can get there. Yeah, Mandarin's a whole different thing, man. It's not just that. You got to understand it, like. CNPC is a Chinese national petroleum company. They got a million employees. Jeez. A million. I mean, we had like 22. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> we got up to like 70 at our biggest. Right. You know? um, but, God, a million. Yeah. So the, the concept, how they think, how they move, how they plan is different. Um, they're, they're also directed by their government. So where we don't, we, the American government's told what not to do. They're told what they'd appreciate if they would do. Yeah. I mean, they have national directives, and they're very clear, these goals, and they'll send goals out to all the companies. And not like you know, it's not like people think, but it, their government system's different. Yeah, and, it's it different. It's just different. Yeah. Uh, it, and and there's, there are probably some advantages to that system, but, uh, you know, there are drawbacks as well. I'll uh, give you an example. When, when I meet with them, the guys explain to me they have a compressor system in this field mm-hmm. in China that mm-hmm. he ran. And he said, there's a board. And I can imagine like a control room. Sure. And he said, there's lights on the board. I said, okay. And then the lights come on the board because the compressor's not running. Then the man calls the engineer. The engineer figures out and he calls to the maintenance and they go out there and they call their team and they fix and they it. Troubleshoot and fix it. So he's, this is going on. And I'm telling you like several hours worth of translation because he wants to understand how we do it. And it's several hours he explains his system. And he says, and he, because he's getting confused, he said, again, tell me how you do it. Eric. I said, when the compressor goes down, it calls the man. Yeah. And he goes there. That's right. There, none of that exists. Yeah. Well, how do you know if they go? Well, what do you well, mean? Because the compressor comes back on. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't he go? <laughs> right. Why wouldn't he go? Right. We, we called him and paid him to go and yeah, asked yeah, him to go. Yeah. He's supposed to go. It was just things like that. Yeah. Just, ah, oh, man. And, and but what an education in itself, right? Yeah. It t- I sat down with him talk about land. Yeah. You know how complex land is. Oh. And I'm not going to try to ruin this podcast with that. But after, I'm talking about a couple of days of explaining the complexity of land with multiple translators, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. gentleman said, I understand. And through a translator, he says, in China, we have one landowner. That's right. That's right. And so... They're like, why does it take five months to get a well ready? Who are these people? Why can't <laughs> you just right. go drill? 
Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And yeah. I, I think I can't think of a better probably uh, visual than that. Yeah. For, as far as far as differences go, that yeah. yeah, hey, China owns China. Right. This guy doesn't own any piece of China. Right. China owns China. Now, I'll tell you another funny story. You know what happens when they drill in an urban area in China? Mm. They stop drilling at night because people got to sleep. You're not going to have the national government drilling a hole in the middle of a neighborhood. We will drill right through the middle of the night, put up sound walls of the best course, we can, yeah. and not yeah. stop for a second. Not They're even like, a second. Hey, it's nighttime. Yeah. People sleep. At people got to sleep. We'd only work till a certain hour. Very different operation. You'll know, put yeah. it on circulation. Like, who does that? Yeah, yeah, man. Well, they do. Right. That's who. So at, M, at so at MD, I at this point I'd been introduced to you uh, by John Richards. Uh, did you guys ever work together? No, I, no. I met John there downtown okay. Fort Worth, okay. and uh, I kept track of him for a while when he went to Range and kind of lost track here. The last couple. I think he's years. still at Range. He's over in like Ruston, Louisiana, which is yeah. I think where he's from anyway. So well, you know, our service him. company. Uh, I mean, the point is, I have a. Pretty sure a pretty significant presence in his operation. Yeah, I should call him. Yeah, <laughs> don't look at, don't watch this, John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John's a great guy. Oh yeah, uh, and and I remember he came to me uh, when the company I was working for was we were starting to have some problems, yeah. uh, and he was like, "Hey, there's this guy Eric Waller. He's looking for somebody. Are you interested?" And I'm I'm very much like ride for the brand. I was like, "John, I'm I'm here to work. I work for you. Yeah, I don't care what's happening anywhere else. If you tell me things are." I'm okay here. I don't want to leave. Uh, and so I hadn't met you yet, but, um, he's like, you should probably meet somebody. He's like, really? You should probably talk to Eric, but, but I didn't. Uh, and, and then, you know, fast forward, we, we, you end up, uh, you and I getting connected after I was laid off from, uh, energy exploration. And, um, I remember I came and interviewed for a job mm-hmm. with MD in the mm-hmm. supply chain mm-hmm. and something that made me, you know, I already had a lot of respect for you. I, I kind of knew some of your story, obviously not as much as I know now from mm-hmm. uh, sitting here with you tonight. But um, so I had a lot of respect for you being a guy that started in the dirt in West Texas. And now you're CEO of a company that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Um, but, but I went and I interviewed uh, with your team. It uh, felt like it went really well. And uh, you weren't in there, which I appreciated because mm-hmm. you and I had a personal relationship yeah. and you didn't want to, yeah. You didn't want to bias the room, and mm-hmm. I, I, that meant a lot. I was like, "Well, this is serious." Well, they kill you in the end if I shove somebody in the, the team correct. beats them. I know how the field works. That's so. correct. Um, but you called me mm-hmm. after you know, I think maybe later that evening, and you said, "Hey, things went really well. Do not take that job if they offer it to you." And I said, "Okay." And you you said, "You're better. Your your skill set is better suited." doing something else. You can do that job. No problem. Yeah. You're better doing something else. And I don't have that for you right now. Yeah. Why do this? You're going to be disappointed. You'll be bored to death. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that meant a lot to me. Uh, and, uh, it meant a lot to me. Um, later that day I was kind of like what the F man. <laughs> I mean, obviously I was like listening to you, but, uh, at the same time I, I thought, man, that sucks. Cause I always, uh, well, I, I wouldn't go pay that good on that job either. Well, that's fair. <laughs> but but I always thought it would be uh, interesting to to work, you know, with you and, and learn a bunch from you. But I've have been able to do that just as your friend, so yeah. uh, it worked out. But I, I really a lot of respect. So you you leave MD while you're there though. You start a service company. Well, I, I start more than one company there. Yeah, the first company I start there is uh, uh, is Inkworks. 
hmm. over you know the tattoo company. I don't know if you remember that. I do, and, and let me tell you the funniest thing. Uh, she start ink works, and I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna go piss real quick because this is a funny story and I want to tell it. I need a break too. Yeah. All right. All right. So we're back. We had to take a uh, bio break because um, old bladders and uh, and fluids. <laughs> So we were going to talk about you. You started a uh, Inkworks, which is a tattoo parlor, which is interesting in and of itself. Uh, and it's funny how I figured that out. Uh, my wife had started a permanent. We'd bought a an existing permanent makeup business, and and they're they're licensed not under cosmetology but under tattoo, it's because the, basically what they're doing is tattooing eyebrows on people. And. Uh, I remember looking through the other tattoo licenses in the area and I came across Chris Waller and I was like, well, I know an Eric Waller and Don goes, Oh, this person's named Waller also. And I was like, it would be just like him to own a tattoo parlor. And I didn't know your name was Chris. So I texted you and I said, uh, Hey, uh, is your first name Chris? And you texted back. Yeah. Why? And I was like, do you own a tattoo parlor? And you're like, yeah. And I just said back, of course you do. And it was the the funniest thing, but uh, but so you start that, and you said you started that and a couple of other businesses. Well, uh, a total as the uh, CEO, um, you know, I had a board that allowed me to do that. Just to be clear, yeah, you know, that's something that's normally not allowed. But the yeah. Chinese were completely fine with side projects. It's culturally, it's kind of what they do. Yeah. Right? So um, they allowed me to start and run uh, four businesses, all four of which are operating successfully today. I'm pretty excited about that. Now, but, when you say start and run, like you weren't in the day-to-day operations. Well, no, but uh, but yes. I mean, yeah. so the the model. So it's hard to explain. What happened to me early on was, you know, you tell this story about borrowing this money, and you mm-hmm. know, I didn't know how to do any of that. The CEO at the time did. I'm on the team, but I learned fast, right? Sure. And you you go through this process and you learn this stuff. But one thing I learned really quick was. They built the incentives in a way that I could chase the money and give them what they wanted and what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So um, this. Let me say what they wanted. You mean the Chinese? No, no. Even before that, okay. the, the first equity deal. These are junk bond guys. Okay. Yep. These are. Yep. Hey, I love them. Okay, but these are the nastiest of the nasties. This is when you see these nasty Wall Street movies. And yeah, they're Wolf good. of Wall Street guys. These are just nasty guys, man. And um, shrewd. They run numbers all day. And the reason they're shrewd is if they aren't the next guy, will. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no. the first time I went to work that Wall Street track, you know, I get off the plane at seven. We work till, you know. 11 30 or 12 we get a couple rounds they're currying over documents i think at 5 a.m i go to sleep yeah i get back up at 6 30 to be at breakfast at 7 a.m the analysts are there they've changed clothes and they have not been asleep yeah and and then i realized right then you know this things i was told in the old food is wrong they said it's all these fat cats making all this money no and, and no they're working hard it's these dudes that are taking years off their lives yeah. doing this yeah, and they're and in order to be able to do it, that's why these guys get up at four in the morning and exercise all that because it's the drain of it. Yeah, you know? yep. and the next guy, well, there's a there's a new class at Warden every year. Yep, you yep. know, and they're hungry and they pay good. Yep, and it's worth it. That's why they're so nasty. But you know, I got to learn to do all that stuff. It was crazy, but I learned that if you align the incentives correctly, you could trust the organization to run it. That's what yep. they do. Mm. The heart of their matter is. There's more money than there are teams to deliver it. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. 
there's more money that wants good operational teams to do stuff in every single sector of the business. The problem isn't getting money, it's getting a team together that knows how to talk to those people because they they have the money, so naturally they're smarter than everybody. Right. They don't you have to constantly try to explain an operation to a person who only views it through a spreadsheet. Yeah, and what's interesting is is uh I got to see that firsthand when I worked at Energy and Exploration yeah. because we went through that acquisition, yeah. and it and it was a one point three billion dollar yeah. acquisition. Matter of fact, Hunt closed that a week before I closed the five twenty five. Yeah, we were right there on the street at the same and, time. And I I remember sitting with John Richards, who was an amazing person to sit, mm-hmm. and he would sit and talk with me and and uh, and and help me understand that side of the like the road show, and he's like. When you're going to talk to these guys, they aren't they are less interested in the operation. Obviously they're interested in the operation, but they want to know who the team is. Yeah. And they understand team, even outside of the operation. Now they need to understand the operation too, but yeah. there's a lot of like who's running it. Mm-hmm. And uh and it, that was a, a real lesson for me to to realize, man, you you can do a lot with it with the right team. Yeah, and you you know, track record too. The hardest gigs to get your first one. Sure. Uh, you know, I guess the second one's harder if you don't do well. But yeah. you know, it's, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it was easier for me to borrow five hundred twenty-five million dollars on behalf of that company than it was for me to buy my first house. Yeah, I can tell you that. <laughs> Felt like they asked less questions. There's probably a lot more to guarantee that five hundred million. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was known to pay late. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you pay, I mean, I'll get you. I'll put some on it. Yeah, yeah. So that was that. Uh, so we did that first. We started off with Inkworks, and so it was this model of, hey, uh, I, you know, it was. There was a guy. His name is Paul Gordon. He worked for a, 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 they were a large anchor investor in our original deal, mm-hmm. like ninety million of the two fifty. Yeah. So these are I, I don't know the real numbers. I'm making up numbers. You know, he, he invested a large. Paul, if that's a <laughs> CA issue, please strike it. But he, my point is, he invested he, a large amount. He missed a lot of it, and we did well for them. Okay, and Paul said, listen, Eric, I'm going to give you some advice. Because he was a phenomenal wealth of advice to me. Sure. In the middle of all these sharks, you know, and he'll do his job unapologetically, mm-hmm. but, he'll, you know, he just realized it's it's the game, right? Yeah. But he said, there's more money than our teams. Don't ever forget that you guys are a valuable team. Don't forget it. There's more money than there are you. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember that. And I just remembered that, right? And, uh, but... So I tried to follow that model, and I and so I am a guy with a story of a high school dropout that goes to CEO. So naturally, you know, I want to help people that don't have that same opportunity, right? Now I'm getting more money, mm-hmm. you know, put more money in the bank, and we've right. sold the right. company, and we've right. cashed out equity, and and this uh, little tattoo shop's operating. I never see the owner, something's going on, and, but they never disparage him. I said, where's your I get divorced, but they don't disparage him. Finally, mm-hmm. when I said that, I said, I don't care what you say. That guy's on drugs, man. Something ain't right. Yeah, yeah. They still didn't disparage him. There's but more said, to this story than he's just got all these excuses, yeah. But I said something that I've said a few times since then. And I said, how'd you like to own your own business? Mm. You see the guys light up. And I realized the only thing stopping, what I do is after talking to these guys, I realize they pay about half up to the house and he pays the rent, provides a building. He's not even showing up doing any work. Right. Which most owners do, right, at the time. Well, I realized that I could cover the half. Yeah. And I'll treat them right. Yeah. Well, but they still ride for the brand. And then I get a call and they says, hey, man, the, he didn't pay the rent. Mm. You know, that's, that's when I said, okay, let's go. 
you know, and then we went deal, we built it up, and in two and a half years, they, you know, paid me all my money that I loaned them, and then they, uh, I didn't loan it, but they paid me my original investment back, and then they purchased the, op- the operation. Yeah. They paid me off years ago. It's still operating, but they did a great job. I went in there, we remodeled the store, we did the branding, we did the logos, we did the marketing, and then these guys took it and ran with it. Right. They were guys that were operation-based guys that right. had no money or opportunity. And by the way, no one teaches operations guys anything about business. They don't want us to know. <laughs> they don't. Well, because they're scared to take it. We will take it. Yeah. You take an operations guy like me and teach him some business, you're in trouble. Yeah. You you know, you can teach an accountant how to roughneck, maybe, but you can teach a smart roughneck accounting. Yeah. That's true. So it, it's a you know, that's the difference. That's, that's true. where I got dangerous was my field experience. Well we took we took the tattoo, that worked so well. What do we do next? We uh We started Caddo Oldfield Construction. Yeah, with Chad. With Chad, yeah. And yeah. I'm gonna have Chad on this show too. He'd be an awesome story. Listen, man, Chad's kicked ass. You know yeah. that company operates without me influencing it much. You know, yeah. I'm really proud to be able to serve on the board or help advise him in that manner. But mm-hmm. Chad took that company and just blew it up. Yeah, it's amazing. And and Chad's a great guy. Uh, he's okay. he's the right guy. To, yeah. to do that I mean, he's fantastic. you know it's funny like I, I i really try to be careful because on the one hand you know i'm sensitive to the audiences that i speak to and and i'm sensitive to vulgarity and mm-hmm. profanity but you know some things you can just only tell that way yeah and uh me and chad had a motto when we started to try to understand what kind of culture we we're going to build how we're going to treat our customers and i'm busy i understand i'm running this company okay right. i can meet yeah. with chad at night in the morning right and i mean i'm working 19 20 hours a day sure more sometimes and the rig will tell you eric don't sleep he will show up here anytime day or night because without the rigs running i can't do all this other so right. i have to make sure this is right That's and right. i do it 24 7 and the people i work with will tell you i'm not lazy yeah and uh you know, we just put Chad in charge of that, and he blew it up. You know, and then that company's a multi, multi-million dollar every year. Multi. I mean, we we operate now. Um, what was your motto? You you. Oh, our motto was nobody gets fucked. Yeah. I hate to say it. That's what our private motto. And so when the question was, is this bad for a customer? Is it bad for an employee? Is it bad for me? Like no one's getting screwed here. Yeah. Like that's the deal. When you want to know the answer, is it fair? Yeah. You know, did he accept it? Does he understand it ahead of time? He did go, you know, but we're not, because so many companies operate like that. Yeah. And, and I know they don't actually start off to do it, but I just felt like it was really careful that we just, when new employees came and said, what are y'all about? Yep. You know. Yeah, you were intentional with it. Very intentional. Yeah. And I learned that skill from a previous leader about certain things to be intentional about. You right. Know? When I took over safe, you know, when I took over the operations, we built Woodbine, right? I go out there, I take over a rig, first day. At some point, we call a neighbor's rig out. I get a second rig. Neighbor shows up. They all show up. At this point, I'm vice president of ops, you know. And the guy meets me on location. We're rigging up. He says, hey, y'all got a safety manual? I said, I don't know, somewhere, you know. He said, what are your expectations? I said, expect you to do what neighbors said they do in their book. I don't yeah. know why you're worried about my book. Right. I'm pretty sure your right. book's better than mine. That's right. And uh, shocked him. But I said, I'm going to make it easy for you. There's a few things if you do here, you're fired. And I had learned this from a previous guy. And I said, number one is I've seen a couple guys with the fall protection as a problem. If, you get, if you're above six foot without fall protection, you're going home, man. No questions yeah. asked. Yeah. I don't have time for it. 
you know, if you're doing permitted work, like hot work, mm-hmm. confined space, without that, you're going home. Like, there's no second chance. Sure. And finally, I met a big group. I said, and, and I just think it's stupid. And I have to come out and tell you to wear glasses. Yeah, hey, I've been doing this yeah. since 90, yeah. like 89. Yeah, Why, wear your glasses. Come on, man. So that, that intentional thing was, I don't want to be confusing with the culture. Here's the culture. If I catch you higher in my head, not tied off, you're fired. Yeah, because yeah. because if you're going to go that high, you'll go higher and you're, you'll die. Yeah, and go die somewhere else. Cause you, Correct. I ain't my business if you die. You That's still right. get to do it here. That's right. And that worked for a while in a mm-hmm. small company, right? I learned that from a, in a big company, believe it or not. But mm-hmm. the, we had a a group called the Cardinal Rules, you know, that, right. that Jerry Austin and his team came up with. I joined the team and the Cardinal Rules existed, but they right. were very much like the things I was talking about. Yeah. I didn't go as far as the eight or nine. I just had a yeah. couple, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and and they're all relatively easy to accomplish. Yeah. You just do them. And you know what's funny? You tell this whole story and people don't realize when we started, I was driving to – we didn't have an office mm-hmm. in the field. I was driving in my truck – my personal vehicle. We didn't have company vehicles. We didn't have company credit cards. <laughs> I was driving to the cafe in North Sultz, Texas, because they gave me their Wi-Fi password at lunch and parking right in front of the building so I could upload reports. I mean, that's where we were. Ten years later, it's this famous story, all this stuff, and, you know, it's cool. Right, but right. it wasn't like that in the beginning. Right. It was boots on the ground um, craziness. But I'll go back to the company we started. So, yeah, Cato. Cato is by far, um, you know... No, it's not my favorite. I gotta say that I'm proud of it, but I just think of the others, and I'm like, no. Uh, but Cato rocked it. We work in multiple states. You know, massive major corporations. We mm-hmm. build, you know, companies like Exxon. We build, you know, more locations for them in West Texas probably than anybody today. That's amazing. And I, I remember when that company started. I'd met Chad. Uh, you'd had a, a get together at your house, and I met Chad, and uh, and he and I hit it off. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. I mean, he's just a he's he's a hard person not to get along with. Well, uh, he's a pretty straight shooter. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Uh, and and then um, he and I kept in touch. And I remember when the company started, he and I were having conversations, and it just wasn't the right time yeah. uh, for me to to get involved with it. And and uh, it seems like it never is the right time. Uh, you know, I've got <laughs> come I've on, always, man. You I've, know I, how I feel. I know, I know. I've yeah. always got a great uh, I've always got a great thing yeah. going. And, and Wildcat's an amazing place. Uh, yeah. And they they allow me a lot of uh, sorry, Wildcat. I'm not recruiting him. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, well, and and, uh, and he can't. So, yeah. uh, but anyhow, um, it, it's just been a lot of fun to to have known Chad and 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 obviously you at the start of that and then then, then just to watch it kind of grow and I remember when you guys announced your first uh, office building that you put up in there in, in Midland yeah. and and just seeing that it's just such a, a monumental thing and and it's been so fun to watch and I'm so happy for you guys it, yeah. it couldn't happen to two better dudes yeah I appreciate that yeah. and you know a lot of people didn't know I was involved with that because I you know as a as a CEO, I just chose to not distract everyone sure. with it. So it was very quiet. Like people, some people are like, well, "I didn't know that was yours." You know, every once yeah. in a while, I'll reach out for a, I'll try to reach my network to recruit someone, or right. you know, I'll post something. Right. People are like, well, "What do you got to do with that company?" I said, "Well, it's kind of there on day well, one." Own it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and I own some of it. Let me be right, clear. Right. Chad's, yeah, yeah. Earned, Chad's earned his place at the top of that. A hundred percent. That dude's a man. that dude's a worker, man. He will. Yeah. He will grind himself into a powder yeah. so he's uh he's awesome i don't know if he'll grind or not he'll yeah. work but then something else might get grinded up yeah he's something else man and so so you start Cato. then what then um you know in 2020 was a crazy year yeah, so yeah we, what was going on in 2020 uh, that was the covid uh, thing COVID. yeah the yeah. whole uh 
So keep in mind, I'm the CEO for a Chinese company. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually get a heads up, okay? Yeah. Uh, the company I work for is in the province that neighbors the Wuhan province. They're in Zhejiang province, the number two impacted province in China. Wuhan was the worst. But they literally were on lockdown a month before we kind of even heard about it over right. here. It was so, so they gave you a, a heads up. Well, you know, I didn't know. I, I mean, let me be honest. I don't really trust the government in any nation, so I don't know what's going on. Maybe sure. they're locking everybody down, killing everybody. I don't know. But who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But the point is, that the yeah, CEO, well. my chairman, is calling me saying, "Do you know where to buy N95 masks? We need masks for our people in the office. There's a disease." Okay, yep. so I go buy some N95. This is going on before we go on vacation. I come back in February after spring break, and I, I come back, and I'm in Salt Lake with my children, and uh, there's not a lot of – or Park City, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people there, and I'm really starting to freak out. Like, it's spring break in Park City. Yeah, it's yeah, that place is packed out. Something's break. wrong, yeah. and I go home, and I call my partners, you know, the, the team, and I say, look, I'm – this thing's happening. There's Let's something shut going her down. on here. Yeah. And uh, that office never reopened fully. Um, you know, they sold that company a couple months ago, but it never reopened so, fully. So uh, downtown MD never opened back up fully? No, never. And wow. we had the entire floor, right? Yeah, it was, it was an office, uh, an awesome office. Yeah, uh, and quite frankly, um, I thought that was the end for the company. Um, hmm. Not because of the financial situation. It was strong. It was... I did not believe we could remotely operate an old company. Mm. And the truth is we didn't have a lot going on. It was, you know, but the truth is we weren't drilling. We had uh, financial problems in the sector. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody did. And we were locked down for COVID. Yeah. You know my energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it's, I have nothing to do. Um, And my wife, uh, my current wife, she's not my wife at the time, but uh, she uh, says, let's start a pumpkin patch. So, you know, we opened the agribusiness, the Jack right, Royal Pumpkin right. Match, which is just taken off. It is <clears> – there's a portion of my life that that is my favorite business. Yeah. It's not my favorite business, but there's components of it that I get more joy out of than any other business I well, have. Because you, you're, you're getting to work with your hands again in not a lot of ways. Not just that. Let me tell you something. I get to work with teenage kids who are their first or second job. Oh. Now, I went through the deal of a, a CEO, and let me tell you something about being a CEO. Look, I'm not. I wouldn't not do it again. I mean, you can't not do it again. But it's yeah. pretty thankless. Yeah. And and the truth is, there's no way to do the job without infuriating people. There's sure. no way to do the job without. There's a way to do a job with ethically. When you make ethical mistakes, you disappoint people. I mean, there's just so many things that it's just it's you can't get it perfect. Okay? There are just there's so many traps. No, and and you know in your. It's uh, the hardest thing for me was it took me a while. To, now, luckily, I didn't have to acclimate too long because I took over a CEO and three days into me being a CEO, this chain of events occurred that was intense. We could have lost the company. Yeah. It had nothing to do with anything I did, but I spent months and months fixing this thing that almost took us down. And uh, I didn't get time to celebrate, but I remember having the job the first day and being completely lost Yeah, for days, a couple. And people are like, you'll get used to it, it's shell-shocked. And it wasn't that. It was up until that moment I had a competitor in the building. Mm. I had a competitor on location. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you do your job. Yep. Be a jiu-jitsu guy with no competitor. 
Yeah. How do you wrestle? Well, you're just a guy flopping around on the mat. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how I felt. But the truth was what happened is, I think, I don't, I'm sure other leaders explain it different. It went, you know, it went from being about me and my career and my team to it no longer had anything to do with me. Right. Now, it's hard to argue that looking from the outside because it looks like everything's to do with you when you're the CEO. When sure. you look at Elon Musk, okay, everything's about Elon. Yep. But I guarantee you Elon wakes up most days and nothing's about Elon. No, probably, yeah. It really is that yeah. way. And I went from this competitive competitor to no competition. I mean, there's other CEOs, but I mean, honestly, I was surprised I was in the seat. I sure wasn't going to go pick a sure. fight with another CEO. Sure, sure. Right, you know, you, you first thing, then you sit down, then a couple weeks later, you start sitting down with the imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. So we're going to do it. I'm going to do the best job I can do. And some days that was awesome. And some days it sucked. Yeah. You know, but all in all, we did that. Well, so we start the Jacksboro Pumpkin Patch, and it just blows up, right? Yep. It's still going. Uh, I was there today. You know, we have full-time employee today. It went from a little ranch with a little bit of pumpkins and people coming to thousands of children coming. It's our third year opening. And, yeah. Um, it's just blown up. We built a wedding venue out there. That's where you got married, right? I got married there. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Absolutely. That makes it even more special. And I remember... Uh, on my land on a deck that I built with my hands. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it that, is cool. That's cool. I don't care who you are. And I wasn't going to let another man build that. I don't know. You couldn't. No. I remember you invited us to your uh, your fiftieth birthday, so I got to go to the the pumpkin patch, um, and uh, it's just a cool place. It's cool. It's just a cool place. It really, really is. So that's going strong. Yeah, and that's here in Jacks, and well, in Jacksboro, Texas. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and we're we're actually we're going to turn that on its head over the next few years. We're yeah. moving from a, we're going to always be the pumpkin patch, right? But um, we're going to build a little eco park. We're going to do some really cool regenerative farming techniques and some hmm. things, you know, like, hey, I love oil and gas and I have nothing against chemicals, but I also really love living clean and without them. Sure. You know, so I don't have a conflict. I get to enjoy both worlds, right? And so we're building this really cool outdoor hydroponic uh, vegetable gardening to teach people how to, you know, for food insecurity, how sure. to grow food and PVC at your home, how to yep. do lots of cool stuff. like You know, and, and when people talk about, you know, just what you said, you know, a love for both oil and gas and the environment. I don't think people understand the level of protection that oil and gas goes into the environment. And they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this right Both now. of those things are important things. Unbelievably important. The reason people don't understand that is because the people who are fighting to destroy the industry are liars. They 100% lie they're liars. Very openly. The oil and gas industry is crammed full of scientists. Oh. I mean, it's science heavy. But anyways, you know. That's a different, that's a whole different, a different, po- different podcast. Look, look, we, you know, I'm going to tell you something. My granddad f- flew into Bali Poppin when it was a jungle. And my grandmother sawed up frozen blocks of spinach with the camp women to eat. And when they rolled out a temporary mat. Bali Poppin's a resort today because people like my granddad flew in the middle of the jungle made their lives better. Yeah, the oil and gas industry has done more to lift the world. Uh, out we of- would be single row farmers if it wasn't for petroleum. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. Now, do we need to go green? Yes. Do we need to destroy our economy doing it? No. Is the current green push designed to get other people really wealthy? Absolutely. Stop. 
doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but guess what? We compost, we recycle, right. we reduce, right. we reuse. I do my part, you know, and I go out there and when I run an operation, I create oil and gas out of the ground and that's what happens, right? Yeah. And and it <clears> makes <throat> people's lives better. It does. 100%. It makes people's lives better. Yeah. And so it, it, I think that's awesome that you're going to, and you and I talked a little bit about that just a few weeks ago, uh, how you were saying, you know, given some of the, the things that you're having trouble getting, you know, in terms of you know, fertilizer this or, or whatever, you're going back to some natural methods like, hey, we're going to just turn some goats loose and let them do their and thing. And chickens and yeah, ducks, yeah. and that's what we're doing. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And so then you guys are sitting around a, a tape, dinner table, just chatting, you and, and your uh, your wife now, I, and I don't think you guys were married at the time, and you decide, you know what, let's start a roofing business. <laughs> yeah. And so you start total roofing. Yeah, what a great – look, i got to be – I'm having so much fun with this company, okay? Yeah. Like, I get excited because – all right, let's be clear. My career consists of oil and gas yeah, yeah. <laughs> executive or worker. Yeah. Debt collection executive, Correct. and now I'm a roofer. I'm totally comfortable with people thinking I'm a scum bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah. the truth the is, the only other thing left for you to do is uh, like be uh, the Texas Hammer. Uh, no, I'm gonna sell extended warranties when I get old. Oh, okay. I'm gonna call you for. Yeah. Well, but the truth is, it's what do you no, mean when you get old? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, when I can't get outside. I got you. Yeah, okay. Look, it's a noble business with yeah. some bad actors. Yeah, sure. And I get to go to people's houses. And so we started, so I got good at creating these little things that no one gets, you know, no one gets screwed at Cata. What what was it here? So when we got total, we said, what are we about? You know, what yeah. are we? Yeah. And, you know, any of you guys going to college right now, if you're watching this and you're reading your leadership books, and they're talking about your mission statement, your values and all that. It is important. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand this constant push to create it before you even put your team together and see what the color of the jello is, man. Yeah. I, and so we just kind of go and figure it out. Yeah. And it took us a while. And now, you know, we started off saying we're advocates for our homeowners. We got to fight for these people. Because sure. I got in this business thinking that roofers were shady and that I needed to be careful not run a shady business. And what I learned was insurance companies are shady. Uh, they're, they're, it's the worst criminal racket I've ever witnessed. It's it's shocking. I may make millions figuring out how to beat them. They steal from their clients every single day. It's yeah. shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. I cannot tell you how many people think I'm stealing from them and their their insurance company is. Yeah. It's shocking. But. Yeah. So then we start trying to figure out, well, I can't educate everyone. They're just never going to believe it. Yeah. So what is it? What is it? Where are we at now? Every homeowner that we work for is in a better condition when we leave. So that leaves, that leaves the possibilities endless, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we didn't offer financing for almost two years. And people said, Eric, you got to provide financing. You're losing deals. You're losing deals. I know I am, mm-hmm. but I can't find a financing deal that my client's in better condition when they met me. If I saddle right. them with a 19% debt that they can barely afford, right. what have I done? Right. And, and you're not only making your clients' lives better. Uh, you remember last year I had my roof replaced. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, live, I live in Houston. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was like, could I, I was going to give the work to you if you could get a crew there. And you <laughs> said, I'll get a crew there, but here's how you navigate that situation. So it, it's just a... It's shockingly uh, complicated, isn't it? 
It is, uh, and it's not. I mean, if you have someone on the inside that can tell you the words yeah. to say, it makes it a little easier for sure. Right. Uh, but uh, but I can tell you, man, it's just what you're describing is having a heart for people first and knowing that that'll produce success because of the way you're treating others. And I think that's awesome. You know, I appreciate that. I don't necessarily feel that way. Um, well, that's what you're saying, though. Well, I mean, I care about people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I really care about the results. I Those really, re- the results are inherent in yeah. the, the heart for people, I think. And, and I believe that personally. Yeah, I mean, I think they pay for a good job. They should get it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get a good job whether I make money. Or, does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not about yeah. the money. Now, yeah. I want to make money, but I want I want to every single person to say, you should hire those guys. Sure. Now, it's not always going to work that way. But yeah. most people say, you should hire those guys when they work for us. We just hadn't been around long enough. So that's four businesses in six years that, that we started. I don't own the tattoo shop anymore. Yeah. Well, you transition that ownership to them, you said. Yeah. And like I said, they're still operating successfully today. They'll tell you, great guys, I recommend them, you know, day and night. If you're in tattoos, a lot of us aren't, you know, a lot, yeah. of, lot, lot of y'all aren't, a lot of us are. How about yeah, that? Well, there but, you go. There you go. But um, that's kind of it, you know, and now we're, we're kind of just, uh, so I got to tell you something about Chinese. I ended up being this entrepreneur in the end with these businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But my goal all along when I went to work, when we sold the Chinese and I took the role as a CEO was I said, listen, Eric, if you do this well, there's a lot of money coming over. You know, I just believe that they're coming. Um, I, I don't want to say I'm encouraging it. I'm an American, right. but I'm right. a realistic. One out of every five people on the planet is Chinese. Yeah. There are 1.4 billion people. We have 300 million. Their 0.4 is bigger than us. It's, yeah. Come on. They're going to be the biggest economy. Period. Yep. And I will tell you point blank, I've seen three presidents speak. I saw President George Bush speak, and I saw President Barack Obama speak, and both of them begged for foreign investment money at the conferences I was at. The entire United States government is asking foreign investors to come in, and they're having these massive government-funded conferences to bring them in. Yeah. With rows of translators in different languages as a boost. They're saying, please invest in America, Okay. The foreign money's not going to stop coming. It, we're designed to accept it. Right. It's it's the way it is. So my thought was, well, if you do good for the Chinese, and someday someone will call back and say, hey, yeah. who was that guy that you know helped form the first Chinese oil company? Yeah. And uh, you know, I did that for six years. I left in October 2020, and uh, my phone didn't ring again. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, well, wait a minute. It, until last week. There you go. I was shocked. I got the call from a Chinese company. said, hey, we've got this little oil and gas thing. You know, and I was like, wow. I told Emily, you know, you know I said, man, it's kind of funny how sometimes plans, you think, man, that didn't work. But now I'm sitting here going, that was a good plan. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to take it yet or not. Yeah. But um, it's good to have that option, though. And I think that's an interesting look at it too. When you say, you know, you, you can make a plan and work a plan mm-hmm. and think, oh, shit, that didn't work at all. And you just, I wonder how many people give up before it's had time to work. Well, and I'll be honest, admittedly, I had given up, but, but yeah. not because I just felt defeated. It's that you had I'm, a lot of other things going on. Well, um, you know, I was an employee. Yeah. Early, I was an equity owner, an employee. There's all kinds of, Whatever, but in the end, I was an employee, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm sitting around here every day, and I'm working 
you know, pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't have to ask anyone to go to the daycare and see my five-year-old. I don't have right. to ask anyone. Now, I may have to lose money. Yeah. I may have to disappoint a customer. I may have to do something, but I don't have to ask. Right. And uh, that's a pretty good feeling. Without a doubt it is. And it's also scary as hell. Yeah. You know, because there's nobody to blame. There's nobody to blame at all. And, and again, going back to that whole entrepreneurial lifestyle, uh, I've had other people describe it as just a unique sickness. Uh, and and it's a, you know, one of these, uh, you know, I think at my, by noon we're going to be billionaires and, and by you know, two, we're going to be destitute. And then by the end of the day, you're like, it's going to be okay. We're okay. Yeah. On to the next day. So, Well, I think it's kind of like exercise. I mean, in the yeah. end, people that exercise religiously exercise not for the end result. Yeah. I know they say they do. Yeah. Most of them, it feels good while they're doing it, yeah. once they do it. Yeah. That's how hard entrepreneurship is. It's hard to get moving. Yeah. But once it's moving, once it you're going. feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it does, man. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for again opening up your your home to to me to to sit down and talk and and uh anytime i get a chance to hang out with you i'll take it and uh it's just it's fantastic to sit and talk to you hear your story in uh in detail and and uh man keep me posted on uh on whether you're gonna look at that opportunity or whether whether you don't have it's good to have options not have to uh yeah i'm I'm gonna make a good decision but it's a struggle i thought i would jump on it and now i'm going wow hold on a minute i've got a yeah Things are going pretty good, man. That's great to hear, man. Well, well Waller, you're you're one of my favorite people on the planet. I appreciate so, that. Uh, so thank you so much for for having uh, having me and, and doing this and and uh, man, I, I can't wait for the the rest of the people to hear your story. Awesome, man. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Waller.